You're listening to episode 188 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Good. I was glad. I'm glad no one had a bit. Yeah. I was going to say that silence is a lack of fill. <laughs> Tried, thought maybe, but just couldn't get See, there. I was going to just say, well, great. Now we can, like actual professionals, just introduce our guest, not just throw them into the middle of a half baked improv bit. So, uh... oh, but here we are. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're actually joined by uh, a friend of ours, uh, a, a friend who happens to run a wave blue world, uh, Tyler Chin Tanner, who's joining us for a second time. Thank you so much for coming on board. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so you're you're you've got a lot going on. You're going to be talking to us today about uh, maybe someday, which is the Kickstarter. It's going to be on Kickstarter uh, Tuesday if you're listening to this Monday, um, and we're going to get into that. We're going to get into a lot of different things. I have so many questions. Before we do, I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We're the Comics Pals. You can uh, type that into the Google machine, and we'll come up. Uh, we are also the Comics Pals wherever your social media is sold. So be sure to look for us there. Uh, if you want to talk to us, you can write to us at thecomicspals.gmail.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. Make sure you guys hit that subscribe button. Uh, leave us a like. Drop us a comment. Share this video with your friends so that uh, they can be made aware when uh, we're doing stuff. Um, and last but not least, come hang out with us on Discord. We're always having a great time. In fact, just Friday, we did a stream. We were uh, hanging out, playing some drinking games. We played uh, Jackbox. So if you're into that... You know, you can come BYOB, of course, or don't. It's fine, too. Whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, just just hanging out as always. Now, I want to get into everything with you, Tyler. Uh, but I want to start because, you know, obviously the world's in a weird place right now. And there's a lot of bad stuff going on. So I just wanted to ask you how you and your family are doing. Yeah, we're, we're doing all right. Um, as well as can be expected. You know, no symptoms or haven't really gone through any symptoms other than just sort of the stress stress headaches and uh things like that and and having the kids at home we have two kids that aren't going to school so they have their zoom classes and then we try to keep them busy extra activities some drawing activities get them into comics too um you know but other than that you know we're making do we're kind of used to the home life and we actually spent most of our times in indoors in our studios working so, like, my wife and I are pretty used to that. You know, so we just try to get some some fresh air every once in a while. Go outside, put our masks on, go for a walk, pick up our, our groceries and booze. And, and you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a terrible life. Just just adapting. Sure, sure. Has it impacted your workflow at all? Because I know you talked a lot about your process and, and how you had to get into a rhythm and stuff last time. Yeah, it is. And it is harder to get into that rhythm because of having the kids at home and everybody at home, um, you know, and the, yeah, there are more interruptions just because things come up. I mean, that's a, that's the thing with kids. It's like, you can set a schedule. It doesn't work perfectly. Um, especially with the, both parents, you know, working and trying to get some work done. So school was always our primary source of, of structure around the kids. And when we knew they'd be out of the house and that's totally gone. So even though I try to run the day, like I usually do, my morning times, afternoon times, scheduling, okay, kids, I'll be with you this time. And leave me alone that time. It doesn't always work perfectly, but that's just sort of a lot of life, you know, so do the best that we can. 
what has been the uh, what what has helped out to kind of keep them focused on other things? You guys working with Disney Plus? You you watching a lot of that? Yeah, I mean, lots of iPad times. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do less. Like before it used to be you can only watch iPad during these hours type thing. And now it's almost become the opposite. Like we make sure they don't watch iPad during these hours. Um, just just because, all right, all right, you've got class this time and I'm going to do an activity with you this time. I just, you know, one of us just can't monitor them during these a lot of these open times so uh, but you know they i find that they they'll they'll get bored a little bit i mean sure there's lots of shows to watch but i'll find like maddie just like clunking around on the piano a little bit and it's nice for them her to do that where it's not just lesson time but she'll have some time to sit there you know or she'll be drawing just just on her own or just i don't know just messing about you know they'll find things to do um our youngest is five now so she's a little bit more independent i've been waiting the last five years to finally get like all my kids to like a certain age you know they're a little <laughs> bit more self-reliant it, it helps it helps because like, you can't you can't really leave a three or a four-year-old to be like this is my work time so entertain yourself <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny because like I, I I often think about that, but we talked when we talk with creators who have kids, and like I guess I don't always think about how independent I was by a certain age. Like when I was like five years old, at that point, like I kind of had my own thing going on, you know. Like it's like I want to play Super Mario sixty four. I don't really need your attention all the time. Right. Yeah. Video games help with that. Um, you know, toys or whatever. You know, just, just hope they kind of have their own world. But my littlest will will go up and. Sometimes I have to be with her at the beginning until she really gets into like her fantasy world with her dolls and the, the dollhouse and things like that. So like, I can't just be like, go play with your dollhouse. But if I sit there for a little bit, once she starts, I start hearing the characters talking and the figures that I'm like, I can slip away and she'll just keep going with, with whatever world she's created there. <laughs> you catch me up. I'll get, I'll get, yeah. you know, back into it later. <laughs> It must be a real treat as a as a creator, someone who, you know, whose trade is is, you know, building stories and building worlds to watch your kids do that. That must be really cool. Yeah. And that's only how I got into it. I mean, I feel like I'm a comic book writer today because of the stories I made up with my Star Wars figures and my G.I. Joe toys. Like I was just constantly like, you know, just create their own adventures. I mean, I was basically writing comic scripts you know in my head i mean obviously you have to learn to like type them out and everything but i mean that's how i that's how i got into it just creating these these fantasy worlds and that's so that's like the one thing that like you know i, I want to kind of keep alive with like my kids when i am like all right you can't just watch everything like that you learn stories from reading and watching and stuff but having some form of all right can you can you form these yourselves in your head yeah yeah like it, it's great to hear that um I think you said it was your your older child is like going and doing those things just for pleasure, not necessarily just you know because it's like a lesson time or whatever. And I feel like that's that's really cool to see, you know. Um, I don't know, and like I think about uh, how kids like we get so worried about the screen time stuff, but I feel like you're right. Where like eventually you get bored of just sitting and like being having something talk at you, you know. So it's it's good that they have that uh, that 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 creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously. Things have changed a lot since the last time that we got to speak. Um, and I don't want to necessarily get too bogged down in all of that. But I know that A Wave Blue World has very much been trying to carve out a spot for itself 
in comics and you've been leading that charge. So how have things kind of shifted and, and, and changed for you guys uh, throughout these changing times and, and sort of where the comics industry is at? How has that impacted you guys? Uh, you, you know, we've tried to just make the smart decisions along the way. I mean, I think the biggest thing was all these comic conventions that were canceled, you know, or postponed for next year. That was a big change. But I mean, we're lucky that we never really had um, comic conventions aren't really part of our business model. They're part of our outreach model. But we just bring our catalog to the show, put it on the table and try to talk to people about it. We don't have a lot of convention exclusives or variant covers or things like that. We're really just sort of selling like a book at a time type like thing. So um, that's one thing I noticed with people, all these pivoting, like we have to have online conventions. And, you know, I mean, that's great if they, they want to do that. But I didn't really I just be like, here's our book that you can find on our web store type you know, which, so I just tried to promote like the web store a little bit more, um, especially since I was able to ship those out when Diamond was closed and Amazon um, was shut down. I was still able, you know, I have the packing supplies here in the house. So if someone orders something on the website, I was able to send those out. I made that deal where um, if somebody said the name of their shop that they would have bought it at, I'd send that shop 50% of the price of that book trying to keep that going, uh, reaching out to stores directly saying, Hey, you know, if you're doing curbside pickup or, or mail order and you want some of our books, I'll send them to you, you know, at wholesale. I had some stores do that. Um, yeah. And just having a lot more zoom meetings with staff and creators, just sort of the digital world, um, you know, digital conference centers like this help, uh, hopefully keeping the post office alive and, and them able to deliver that helps because if that cog falls out, then we really are just sort of doing a virtual, uh, you know, world here and digital comics and, you know, but as long as, as long as we're able to keep some level of shipping going, um, I, I think there's still a lot of avenues open. It's just, you know, all right, less face to face, more, you know, shipping, ordering online, meeting here and shipping, you know, we're trying to think of things that we can do, like what I was saying with that digital conventions, where maybe it's like a digital signing, if we have a new book out, but we can't do a book tour, maybe we can schedule things like this, where someone can order the book, we'll sign it to them, send it to them, and then sort of meet online, and it'll be sort of a virtual book signing, mm -hmm. where know, people might even like that, because then they don't have to like go go get in line and I mean, besides the whole COVID thing, but it saved them a trip too. So yeah. Or like spend a ton of money on a ticket or something like that or a hotel room or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now. And, and, and we, and I'd be more focused too, if we sort of set our own schedule, you know, rather when you're sitting there at a convention and one person's coming up after the other, and maybe you're getting that glassy eyed, not really paying attention to the person, you know, you can give them their little like 10 minutes of just like, all right, you know, chat, you know, we'll see. So, has there been um, – because obviously, you know, Wave Blue World has like a little bit of a different like publishing model than some other publishers. Has that really impacted – like has the, you know, forced quarantine and lockdown and everything had much of an impact on, on any of the stuff you guys had in progress or were you kind of able to dodge that a little bit? Yeah. I mean I think we just totally dodged it because one, we don't really do monthly comics. I mean we have like usually like a book in Diamond each month. So when they canceled one of their catalogs, we just move that book to the next catalog. Um, as far as the release, I mean, I did feel bad, like Kyrell's Ring, which was an awesome book, and we did this beautiful hardcover. 
for it. Actually, I'll pull it out here if you want. Um, we had this. This came out in March. Can you see it? Ooh, and, nice. uh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's just it was just an awesome book. And um, it still came out, and we got it out on time, and it's on Amazon, and it shipped out the stores. But we didn't get to do Emerald City Comic Con, and and um, you know, I felt like that kind of got like I don't know. It just had its like you know its release blunted a little bit. You know, it's still available. It still will be. You know, the rest of this year and into the future. But um, you know that that had some sort of impact where we didn't get get to give it the rollout that we were hoping. Um, you know, and then of course, I mean, we delayed this Kickstarter a little bit just because it seemed a little weird to launch it. We're going to launch it right in April, which I know some people did and did really well because, in some ways, Kickstarter is a good answer um, to the quarantine. But it felt a little weird to do our like anthology of hope right, right when that was coming out, as opposed to now where yeah. it's a little bit like, okay, we know what we're in for. Um, let's let's. Now that we've pivoted and kind of created our new system, I think it's the message can be heard a little bit more. Um, but other than that, no, we kept we kept the creative process going on our upcoming titles. Um, I think we talked about it a little bit last time that we've really moved to a model where we're completing full books before we put them out. Um, not just before they come out, but before we even start the marketing process. So we'll create a book, put it all together create the review copy and start this whole like really like nine month process before it's released. So um, that that's actually slowed us up more than the COVID has a little bit. Cause when we started that, we we're like, damn, we're putting together a book now that's going to be out in 2021, you know? And when we announced <laughs> that we were doing the sequel to dead legends and Mezzo, it's like, uh, well, this will be out in 2021 because, because of, we want to get the whole book together. We're not going to just push out issue number one and, hope you know there aren't too many delays in the upcoming issues um and i think that's a better business model for the world we're in now for the way people like to read graphic novels or collected arts um and just for getting people to trust a small brand that you know so many times the downfall of indie comics is to put out an issue and people be like yeah i have no idea when the next issue is coming out or just sort of lose interest or can't find the copies so um, yeah, I, I think it's all just been very, as new information has come out about what's going on, we've just sort of integrated it into what we're doing and I feel like it's working out fine. You know, that is a fascinating point Yeah, that, and it's, it's something that I feel like we've actually not even talked about on this podcast yet is the idea that publishers and there aren't. I, I honestly, off the top of my head, can't think right now of another publisher with a model like yours. Um, there, there's, there's another one, but it is, it's escaping me. But either way, the fact that you guys are working in those kind of you know nine month stretches means that in a situation like this, you kind of have the ability to dodge the problem in a way that you know Marvel or DC, for example, can't necessarily. I think the the point you made about it being a good way to instill trust in new readers is also a really salient point because I I know we've often talked on the show um, that you know comics are really expensive um, and I think getting someone to take a a chance on an indie book that um, you know that they might not have heard of that's maybe from a creator they haven't heard of that's from a, a publisher that they don't recognize like is I think 
can be a, a tougher sell than like a volume because that's like oh this this is something I can completely read and check out and not have to worry about any of those other problems that you just mentioned of like am I even going to be able to keep following this if I like it you know yeah and and to that uh, I I back a lot of books on Kickstarter and sometimes they're for like an issue or two issues and the next Kickstarter isn't for like another two three years and I forget about the book or. Um, I'm, I'm reminded of what happened with like Black Mask where I was following some of these series and then mm. due to due certain issues with the company, like they, they pause publication, they pause uh, individual issues and you kind of fall off that. But having that, that ability to disperse them uh, week over week and then have it all collected to your point makes it a bundle worth like worth the dollar value. And I found, you know, uh, we did the premiere edition program at the end of last year, and we'll be doing it again uh, end of this year and next year, where I thought that was like an interesting compromise to some of that serialization that people like, whereas we would still put the entire book together first, but then we'd lead it off with a number one premiere edition two months beforehand. Then we'd serialize the next four issues digitally on a biweekly basis, so it was a little faster, and then the book would come out. Um, And I found that there were people that did like that, because we solved all the problems that we just addressed about not knowing when it was going to come out or these large gaps. But if people did like to read issue by issue, that they could they could still do that. Um, and we had a lot of people that read those series, you know, through the issues every other week. That seems like the best of both worlds, you know. It seemed like that to me. I know some retailers were really against this idea of buying the um, premiere edition because there wasn't going to be a number two or a three in print. Um, that was the only negative that we got. But to me, it was always like, well, you buy it or you don't buy it, you know, type yeah. type thing. Um, you know, it wasn't going to exist anyway. And people can just do it digitally. They can just get number one through five digitally if they want and not worry about that first issue. We tried to make that premiere edition a little bit more special, you know, a, an exclusive cover, a lot of back matter. So it was really like a number one plus this sort of taste of, of the creation, like almost a, a preview type thing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experiment and, and there didn't seem to be any real negative. So we're going to keep going with it. Cool. I, I love that because it's a, I, I'm a, I'm not a trade waiter. I like to buy issue by issue. And what I love about your idea is that for someone like me who needs a lot of times that, that ability to go, is this worth the buy-in? You know, uh, now you're telling me, okay, well, there is this graphic novel, there is this fully collected edition, but if you want to try it, if you want to see if this is for you, you can buy the premiere edition. It's special. It's not just the number one. So it's kind of a collector's item, kind of more than you would get otherwise. And then if you really like it, you can pick up the graphic novel and pick up right where you left off with that issue one. Right. The 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 collector in me is like a sucker for that kind of thing too, where it's just like, oh, well, if you really like this book, you can have this cool, like, you know, this little slice of its history, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do that a lot too, where I buy the number one and then be like, oh, okay, I like it. I'll get it when the trade comes out. And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a little bit of an overlap because I guess you're getting that first story more than once, but I don't know. I mean, how many like series do I have, like individual issues, trade paperbacks, hardcovers. I mean, if yeah. you like something, it's nice to have. We've still, we've still um, narrowed it down a little bit to just one single issue and one trade, 
yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't really come across any real negative response. No, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's a definitely a good idea. I've double dipped at least four times on Grant Morrison's Batman. I, <laughs> I, I, I think that's a great idea. We're we're talking about kind of where the world is, and I think that now is a perfect time for hope, and that leads us into uh, this new Kickstarter that you guys are launching, maybe someday. And it's again, it's it's launching on Tuesday. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, it's already out, and we're gonna have a link to it if you want to check it out. Can you talk to us about what readers can expect from this book? Yeah, absolutely. So two years ago, we kickstarted and published All We Ever Wanted, Stories of a Better World, um, which is the first time that we did that. Um, And our motivation there was the same thing, that uh, the world was getting sort of depressing. Um, It didn't look like we were headed in a, a great direction, or certainly there were strong signs that it could go poorly. The future wasn't looking so bright. Um, so we wanted to show people that the possibility was still there, that here was a path towards coming together um, or show show how that it, how that it could um, be a brighter future. And that did really well. I think it resonated with people even more than we thought. Uh, it sold really well. It had its Kickstarter run and sold. Then we had it in the direct market. And stores still bought it up, even though this whole, I don't know, some stores are negative on Kickstarter because it's like, you already sold to your audience type thing. No, these same stores, actually, some of these same stores that even backed the Kickstarter and got their Kickstarter copies still came back and were like ordering more for people that didn't know about it. Wow. And then we opened it up to the book book market and um, Barnes and Nobles and Amazon have been selling it and this, this book club you know, this book membership type thing, ordered copies and things like that. So we're like, you know, it's, it's been doing really well. It was in, featured in the New York Times. So yeah, it occurred to us that, you know, we could do more of this, that we needed a sequel. People wanted more fresh stories and that there were a lot of creators, as you've seen from the creator list, who wanted to be part of it too and tell their stories. So really we're like, this is something that we need more of. The, the original 25 stories wasn't, wasn't enough. Um, so we've got, I think, up to 28 uh, more ones now. Um, and yeah, the idea is pretty much the same. In this one, we said it didn't necessarily have to be futuristic. We could do more alternate realities, fantasy realities. So it wasn't necessarily, this is the real world and this is the future. So just, it's not necessarily just, all right, let's look at what 10, 20, 50 years in the future looks like. It could be, here's the way things could go or a different thing or just, a reality that's a little to the step to the left or something, but it's the same basic idea. Like, Hey, if we make the right decisions, if we come together as the human race, um, we can make a brighter world for the next generation. And, and again, that's, that's a message that we need right now. And, and in a way you would, you would referenced how this is something that you might've uh, put out in April. I almost love that. It's now, um, you know, we need this so badly. Uh, you you referenced the list of creators, and uh, I wanna I wanna read a few of these off. It's it's a it's quite a list, and no disrespect to anybody that's on it, but it's a monstrous list. And I wanna read some of the names that I feel like might excite people who listen to this show, uh, names that people might be aware of. But but again, 
I'm going to leave people out, but but there's a lot of great creators and talented people on here. Um, so we've got Steve Niles is on here, which is really cool. Um, Eric Palicki is on here. Rod Reese is on here. Matt Miner, uh, Emily Pearson, Daniel Kibblesmith, Isaac Goodhart, who is a friend of ours. Uh, Ethan Sachs is on here. Of course, Tyler Chintana is on here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe Caramagna is on here. Zoe Thorogood's on here. Uh, Greg Anderson Elise is on here, which is awesome. Another friend uh, of the show. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Erica Schultz, Joe Glass. Uh, it's it's just it's a who's who. Michael Morecci, uh, Philip Seavey's on here. Max Bemis, just so many creators. And Ryan again, Katie. I left. Yeah, Ryan Katie, good friend of ours as well. I left off so many fantastic creators. I I guarantee you that if you read comics and you look at this list, you will see a name or two or three that you love. Yeah. So it's worth checking out to see their stories being told through this book. Um, I, I'm really curious about the process of putting together an anthology of this magnitude because this is, again, a lot of talent involved and I'm sure a lot of work on your part. So how do you do this? What's the process like? Well, man, it helps that this is the sixth one that I've put together now. Um, <laughs> you learn a lot of tricks along the way and especially dealing with a lot of issues ahead of time. Um it's organization and schedules, just like everything else. Um, get the creators the information they need ahead of time about everything, you know, the page size, the due dates, um, where to put, you know, are they saving room for credits within the story? Does their page start on the right or the left? You know, does it end on the right or the left? How many page counts they get? Um, you know, spreadsheets. Uh, Google Docs that everybody can share, you know, use technology, stay in communication, <laughs> um, Dropbox folders. When something comes in, you know, have your process for downloading it and storing it. You know, don't just have like thing your your mail your mailbox or your download folder just explode with with content. <laughs> uh, save everything, save stages, save thumbnails, save communications so that you're clear on everything, um, man. And then just um, just chip away at it because that's all it is. I mean, it's not any longer than, you know, 180 page graphic novel, but you've got what, 20 times the amount of creators. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> little segments, you know, you know, and um, you know, you gotta be flexible with things that happen with, with people like, like that, like you tell somebody a certain deadline or they have to have something because you have to tell 52 people this, you know? So if someone tells you like their dog dies or they have this emergency or something like that, it's like, okay, you know, just communicate with me and we'll work something out special for you. Not because I'm giving you a special deadline or something like that, but I just, you know, you can't do that times 52. So, you know, just let each person come to you with their, their individual issues. Um, and then, I don't know, you just got to love it because, there's 28 stories and I read the script for every single one and, and looking over the layouts for every single one. And if you don't enjoy that, that process and look at each one, like it's its own, own little world and little story, you know, then, then it would just get tedious or almost impossible to keep, keep track of, you know, but when I see the layouts, I like to remember, Oh yeah, that's that robot that they wrote, wrote about here and there. Um, and think back to that scene and pull that script back up and, and, uh, you know, just be able to get into that world for a couple minutes and, and give your feedback. 
um, keep things going. So I don't know, you know, anthologies are, are a, a beast and I, so many people get sort of pulled down under the tide of it and putting it together. Um, but if you learn the tricks of it and, you know, just, just improve with each one, you know, it's, it's possible. I'm at the point now where it's, oh, I'm just so much more relaxed about this one than I was about the previous ones, you know, things will come up, but you know, I know we have what's in place to, to deal with it. So you said this was the sixth one, right? So how, like, what is the timeline on these usually? Like from, uh, you know, I, uh, like let's not ideation, but like when you are as a company decided we're doing this and then you need to wrangle everybody, like what does that look like? What's the, what's the timeline there? In some ways it's gotten longer, but it's also gotten shorter on the end a bit more. Um, it used to be that would it would be a short time from – inception to launch and be like, Hey, let's do this. All right. Launch the campaign and boom. And then you'd need a long time to give the creators um, time to create it and then to pull it together and to troubleshoot and to publish. And there used to be a longer time from there. Now we do it the, uh, the opposite. The inception happens and there's a lot of planning. Then you get the creators involved, you get them working on it. Um, then you launch the Kickstarter with things well in hand. That's why we have all this preview art and all the scripts are in. Like we didn't launch the campaign until 28 scripts were in. Um, I would say probably 70% of the stories have at least a page of artwork in. There's only a few of them that we're waiting on. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll launch the campaign in June. The book will be out in November. It's the same year. Um, and... You know that so the the final process is shortened, and that's what we've learned that that's what you've got to do. So we started planning out. You know, we know what we're doing next year. We're doing the year after that, um, and so like we we're talking about with everything that we're doing now, everything's planned out much more from the beginning. You know, in the end, that last bit happens faster, um, and we don't we tell the the artists, okay, this is when you start. This is what we need it by. You don't be like, you know. Oh, do you want to be part of this project? Yeah, it'll probably be due in like six, eight months or something like that. Like, because then it may sound awesome that they have all that time, but they don't know how <laughs> yeah. to plan that far in advance. You just be like, look, it's coming up. Find a window for it. But when we do do it, you know, within two months, really, is, you know, that's enough time to do an eight page story, you know, six, eight page story. You know, if you give them more than that, really, it's just going to get lost in the shuffle of new things that come in and, and go out. So for you, because you you are also a a creator and a talented one at that, you're you're a part of this as well. What is it like for you to be a part of an anthology of this magnitude? And how does your process change when you're working on something like this versus something like Mezzo or you know anything else? Yeah, it's fun to be a part of, um, and I think so much of my publishing. Um, motto um, or ethos is that I'm in the trenches as well doing it. So, you know, I'm not like the executive or, or something like that. I want to be a part of this process and under the same sort of duress and, and, and everything else. Um, so that's part of it. I just like to write short stories. Anthologies are a great way to write short stories. So I'm writing like the longer stuff because every time you do a graphic novel, um, that's a hundred something pages yourself. So this gives you a chance to write. It's a, it's tough to write um, a six, eight page story. Um, it's even harder to do shorter than that. Like when you have to do a two page or something like that. I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> uh, 
it's nearly impossible. Um, each time you're creating your own world and your own set of characters, and then you have to tell a story within six to eight pages, that's hard. Um, but I do like the challenge of it. And that's fun to be in. And then, yeah, it's just nice if you have an anthology, especially since I'm publishing it and selling it myself sometimes, then if I'm in it, then I can sign it too as like one of the creators. Um, that's neat. It just sort of fits my small business model nicely. So so you you shared with us some of the preview art that uh, that's, you know, that's going to be in this book. And we all got to look at it and it looks fantastic. What What is it like... When you put together a project of this magnitude and you just get all this beautiful art coming in. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Right. Yeah. As um, a fan of the uh, medium, it's a real treat just to see all this candy come in, so to speak. <laughs> and that's really neat. And that's one of the things, that's one of the benefits. You work with 50 something creators, but then you get to see, you know, all the different things, you know, so much, such a, such bigger range of styles and, and aesthetic of it's it's really cool to see yeah um yeah. And, and then artists that i hadn't even really heard of or had a chance to work with you were mentioning how many these names are recognizable and some of them i knew some of them i didn't or i just knew from instagram but now i get to see like their actual comic pages um yeah i'd, I'd say that's a real strength of, of working on anthologies and for people who like to read them too you just get such a wider array of stuff it's almost more you know bang for your buck so to speak that brings up an interesting point for me how do you decide what the roster will be like for a book like this um luckily i'm less involved in that i mean i let matt and eric for the most part put together the teams um you know it's just it's a fully curated thing we don't open up to um submissions at all because i mean i just to me, that would be almost impossible to like, I'm not even quite sure how it's done. I submitted to a couple of anthologies and it was hard to be like, well, how much of this am I going to put together if I don't even know you're going to accept it type thing? Um, and I wouldn't want people to like do that. So I don't know what criteria it would have to be based off of anyway. So I think they really just sort of look around at who's doing interesting things in the industry that we'd like to have on it. Um, a lot of times like a writer will, or artists will pick their own team, like, oh, I really want to work for this person, or sometimes we'll just put them together. Um, I don't know, there's a lot of people working in the industry, a lot of people doing great stuff, and it's hard to narrow it down. Um, but, you know, you just kind of go out there and make your list and, and go down the list and ask people if, if they want to be a part of it. Well, one of the cool things about this list of people is how diverse it is. And I feel like this list is not only representing the diversity of the industry, but the sort of youth of the industry. I'm not saying everybody on this list is a is a spring chicken, but the fact that these are a lot of names that aren't necessarily at the top of Marvel or DC, these are up and comers. And a lot of times it's fun to read books by creators who are working their way up. You know, they're, these are their their earlier stories. They're getting it out. And it's so fun to see these different – a lot of these these creators' books that I've read of theirs are some of my favorites. I love what Isaac Goodhart does. And so many people may not know who he is, but this is a great opportunity for someone like that to show their work alongside so many other talented creators. And I think that's the beautiful thing about anthologies and comics. 
Yeah, for sure. It was a real chance for people, for, for both creators who are up and coming to get their work out in smaller sample sizes. That doesn't necessarily take them a year or two to put together. And then for readers, yeah, to see a bunch of new art from creators they may not have heard of um, in one book. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's what's really great about anthologies and what keeps us coming back year after year. So I, I, I take a look at the publishing line for Wave Blue World, and I encourage people to go to the website. It's uh, awbw.com because every book looks different. Every book has something different about it, a unique feel. These these covers are are awesome. And I feel like one of the cool things about what a Wave Blue World is doing is that it's giving us different slices of the industry. It's not all the same type of book. What makes a book something that you want to publish? What what makes a book uh, right for a Wave Blue World? Well, I think by keeping our publishing line down to only, you know, about eight books a year, it really gives us the opportunity to both be choosy, but also put the amount of effort and work required to make the story as good as it needs to be, the artwork, the production, everything. I mean, really, if we're putting something out, it's special. Um, as far as what we, what we choose, I mean, I, I think we do keep genres very open. We're trying to find a little bit of a, you know, what is our, uh, what is our brand? Um, and I think we do try to say, you know, we're, we, these are stories of the world. And as, as humanity, as a, as a, um, in the, in the larger sense of the word, like we're, we're all part of the, like the human race and, and in this together, um, and that, that's pretty broad. So, I mean, that does allow us to do fantasy, sci-fi stories in different parts of the country. Um, but as far as what I look for, I don't, I'm just looking for a story that just really sort of stands on its own, as it's on its own. Um, as not just trying to fit in with this sort of fan fiction or this genre or something like the creators are making this because they had something unique that they wanted to say. You know, they're not doing this because, oh, I want to be a creator or I like this other comic and I want to do my own version. It's like this sort of, this this needs to be, this is coming from, you know, us, from inside of us. And this is a story and our message for the world. So, I mean, that's, I know that's broad, but that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and I think the, the broadness kind of means that these books can appeal to a wide variety of people. Um, if, if you could, if you could shout out, I know I'm putting you on the spot. If you could shout out one book that you guys have put out that we haven't talked about yet, what book would that be? Um, oh man, that's a, that is a tough one. I'm going to do my own website. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, each one is great. Um, and we talked about Kyrell's ring coming out. And I also have my bookshelf here. Jeez Louise. Now that's. I don't know, man. You're putting me too much on the spot. <laughs> it's like, why don't, after that, why don't you tell us which of your kids is your favorite? Yeah, too? yeah. <laughs> if you want to, I don't know, we've, we haven't talked about it, but uh, one interesting one that'll come up uh, later this year. So American Terrace was the second graphic novel that I ever put together. 
right after Adrenaline. And I wrote, I wrote that with my wife, Wendy. Andy McDonald did the artwork. It originally came out in black and white because I was having a tough time getting the colors done. Um, I published just a, never had distribution or anything. Came out as a black and white graphic novel. This is its 10th anniversary. Um, and I'm putting out the color version in print for the first time this year. Uh, it's a story about American politics, protest and revolution. And reading through it again this year and prepping it, it's uncanny and a bit scary how on point it is with politics in America today. <laughs> and we wrote this 10 years ago. We wrote this before Obama was president, before Occupy Wall Street. All of this stuff hadn't even come out when we wrote this. And it's just ridiculously prescient. You know, it doesn't matter who's president or what the current um, you know, U.S. crisis is, all the points that we talked about with the media and protests and the police state and surveillance, it's honestly like we wrote it yesterday. <laughs> you know, like we didn't even really have, we're like, should we update this for 2020? And we're like, we don't need to. I mean, we stayed away from name dropping anything that was too date specific. Um, so I'm really interested to see. We're putting it out in November, right around the election. Um, not that politics and all these issues aren't on people's mind. Um, I'm just really curious how, how a new audience will react reading it in 2020. They're not going to feel like they're reading a book from 2010. You know, um, And we're going to call it the 10th anniversary edition. And we've got some new stuff in it and, and sort of celebrating the, the re-release of it. Um, and then, like I said, in color for the first time, um, in print. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just—I'll be interesting to see see the the response and and, and how well that does today. So there you go. That that one. <laughs> you know, that's perfect, and it's funny because I've had my eye on this book the entire time that I've been looking at the website. <laughs> it just looks—I love the cover. It's awesome. Yeah, and we have—we're doing the same cover. Um, and like I said, the only real difference in terms of the, the 220 interior pages is that they'll be in color. Um, so yeah, I mean, if it's something that you're interested in, let me just pull off out of my shelf here. So this is the, the black and white edition and, you know, it's in black and white. Oh man. So which, which is cool, you know, um, which is why I didn't mind putting it out like this, but the colors are amazing too. Um, so Matt Wilson had started it. I don't know you, Matt Wilson. He worked on um, what was that popular one that? Look at Marco's face. Uh, uh, oh my god! Um, a, the Wicked and the Divine. Wicked Divine. Yeah, Wicked Divine. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he got like halfway through and was just like, "I just can't finish this for you." Then I had gotten Jordi Belair who did like five pages, and then she blew up, and she's like, "I can't do this anymore." So I was like frustrated. No. And I was just like. Fine, I'm putting it out in black and white. So I put it out in black and white. And then shortly after I did that, I found um, Michael Wiggum, um, whose style fit like a T. And then he like finished it up in like two months. And I was like, oh, now I have the color version. Um, so I ended up putting that up on Comixology. So the, the color has been out digitally for a while. Um, and I, but I just wanted to make sure there was a good reason to put out another edition. Um, and like you saw, yeah, the black and white looks great. So now we'll have both versions out, black and white and color. 
that's the beauty of putting out a book in black and white. Then you have an excuse to put it out a second time. Right. Yeah. And, and we waited enough times, right? You know, I can't believe it's been 10 years, but, uh, I, I will say I have, I actually have it, uh, on comiXology, the first issue, cause you guys do have that, uh, on, on it. And yeah, the colors, uh, are, are striking. There's a lot of like dynamics there. So, uh, definitely one that I'm going to go back to reread. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. For those of you who are not on YouTube, Marco actually just flashed it and it looks awesome. So, um, yeah, definitely check that out. What what else can you tell us about what you guys are working on? Because you work in these, these long stretches, I'm sure that there's a lot you might not be able to talk about. But is there anything else you can kind of tease us with? Sure, yeah. I mean, like I said, right, 20, I feel like 2021 has already, like, passed and in a weird way because like we've those are those are books that we're like wrapping up now 2022 books we're working on you know that's what our heads are kind of most in right now our 2022 line um i can't i don't mean i don't want to announce too much like i said we are doing a sequel to dead legends and mezzo which will be out in 2021 um you know so some of the books that we do will have second volumes for at the end of this year Obviously, maybe someday will be coming out. Um, American Terrorists relaunch. We have the Phantom of the Opera adaptation um, that we're doing, which would be really oh. cool. That'll be in October. Um, and um, next year, we're going to be launching some some YA and some middle grade titles. We're going to go into the youth market a little bit. Uh, we have some exciting stuff there. And I think two areas that are really growing f- for us are more of the literary market books that have ties to, you know, people who read prose novels, um, poetry, classic literature, things like that, because we really do want to blend in that audience as more people are reading more graphic novels. Um, It's still, I still feel like it's very connected sort of the genre comic booky stuff. The idea isn't just to have something that looks like a book, but have pictures. Um, It's more of people who typically read prose novels, but, you want to try a graphic novel, you know, and I think that's something that American terrorist was good at, but here we're actually bringing in more authors that have worked in prose and books that you've heard of that will be now told sequentially through sequential art. Um, that's coming up in a big way. And again, like our, our younger age groups too, the YA, we've got some fun stuff that still sort of fit our brand about the world. And cause I think kids and teenagers want to read, so they're much more aware globally of what's going on in these issues. You know, they're not, not necessarily like politics over the head, but yeah, they deal with things that you often find in our books, you know, about um, the different cultures and, and diversity and, and um, social cultural issues. Yeah. So before we let you go, I, I, I do want to ask you, given the position that you're in, how do you feel about the state of the comics industry? You know, we've we've got um, the shutdown that happened. You know, Diamond, uh, you know, said that they were going to stop printing and stop, uh, you know, putting books out for a while. And, you know, a lot of decisions were made. How do you feel about where things are going right now? Well, there's going to be a lot of change. I don't even think we've seen most of the changes because... You know, Diamond did is back up and running now, receiving and printing, but it doesn't mean everything's going to be full steam ahead. Um, doesn't mean that they might not have to stop shipping. It doesn't mean we might not 
lose the post office or things might change or rates might change. Um, we're not going to know. We don't know when comic conventions are coming on because even when the quarantine stops, it doesn't mean it's going to have sa- it's going to be safe to fly or have large gatherings inside. There might be more local shows. There might be more outdoor ones. Um, you know, but I think the comic industry will survive and will evolve, and the people that evolve with it, um, you know, the creators will still be around, readers will still be around. Comics are actually a great medium for things like being in quarantine, and the price point is relatively low. You can get it delivered um, inside your house. So, you know, if we if we change how we do things. Um, and evolve along with it. I I think we'll just totally be fine. You know, my my big concern is just stores surviving through this. Um, re, you know, there's people been saying interesting things about habits are changing. This is a good time for people to change their habits because so much about what we've done in comics have been because that's what the buying habit is. Um, the weekly comics, the serialized numbers, the this and that. Um, you know, now's an opportunity to move away from that and do things that actually fit the model of the world we live in a little bit better. Um, and I know that's what we're trying to do. You know, what can we do for a world that's more virtual um, but still maintains human contact and, and this exchange of stories and ideas? Um, how can we do this to improve that process rather than just limit it? Um, so... Yeah, I, I think it's mostly positive, but it doesn't just mean that it's all going to be, you know, rainbows and, and roses out there. You know, next month, we're not going to all of a sudden be like, ah, it's back to normal, you know? No, the, the, that normal is done. Now it's just creating the new the new normal. Absolutely. Well, I hope that uh, a wave blue world is at the forefront of that new normal as it relates to the comics industry. And I wish you guys a lot of luck. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be around. I'll tell you that. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> that's good to hear. And again, uh, that's maybe someday, and that's going to be on Kickstarter for us. It'll be on Monday for you guys listening. It's whenever you're listening. It's it's probably out unless you're listening to it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. It's on Tuesday. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. So launch tomorrow if you're listening to yeah, this exactly. on Monday. But on exactly. Monday, there's still that yeah. pre-launch page. So people can click it and follow it and get notified when it when it does launch Tuesday morning. Right. And we we've got a link to that. What's the hard date on that? That's uh, June 2nd? June 2nd, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will launch it. Yeah. There you go. Beautiful. Awesome. So thank you again for joining us, Tyler. If you want to leave listeners with you know plugs, any kind of where can they find you online, stuff like that. Well, a wave blue world, which I know is a little tricky, um, but that's our handle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The website is awbw.com. You know, I'm as Tyler Chin Tanner, I'm on all those social medias as well that's that's pretty much it yeah awesome thank you again for joining us it's always a pleasure and hopefully you'll come hang out with us again sometime yeah thank you it's, it's always a lot of fun let's let's do this again awesome thanks again for joining us tyler all right thank you all right so uh thanks again to tyler for joining us always a pleasure and uh yeah definitely check out his book maybe someday the anthology coming from a wave blue world um kickstarter drops tuesday like we said link in the description we've got a lot of show to do yeah 
link in the description. Uh, we've got a lot of show to do still. Um, we got to talk about uh, Henry Cavill, maybe kind of sort of being back as Superman. What? And uh, we're actually going to be doing our first review in a long time. We're going to be reviewing Marauders number 10, Woo! which I'm super excited about just to do God, something normal. Yeah. yeah. Um, Get to read about the X-Men. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. But Pals Pulls. We got to talk about the Pals Pulls. This is a this is a segment we do weekly, used to do weekly. Now it's, you know, when we can. Uh, where we're going to talk about books that are coming out that we're excited about. Uh, Marco and, and I were the only two who had books that were, we were excited about this week. Obviously, the list of titles releasing weekly is not nearly as long as it used to be. What, Kill had some. Yeah. yeah. What you did? Yeah. Yeah. I, I put it I, I oh, sorry. I started a whole sorry, thing. Sorry, I missed that. That's right. Damn, uh, dude. Well, well, in that case. You know, all white guys look the same. It makes sense. Damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so then in that case, we'll start with you, Kale. Uh, and you chose Usagi Yojimbo Volume 1. Oh, Hell yeah. So this cool. is the first of the brand new um Usagi stuff that Stan Sakai is putting out. Nice. Um, it also coincides with, I, th- I think it's the 35th anniversary of the, the title. Wow. 35? Really? At 35 or 25. I can't. Uh... Oh, here it is. I guess, oh, I guess that would make sense. That would be in the 90s then, right? 80s. But yeah. <clears throat> um, oh. It includes a, a, a re- uh, a recrafting of Stan Sakai's first Usagi Ojimbo story uh, that actually expands it hmm. from huh. eight pages to 24. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. That's cool. So I'm Four hella excited page. about that. So wait, so he's, is he like, he's redrawing it, re rewriting it, all that? Or, or is it like extending the page af- after? Yeah, like are point? those eight original pages still going to be there with just new material? Or is it like an entire revision of that story? From what I could tell, it was an entire revision. That's cool. Oh, that's I, haven't, cool. I haven't read it. I've only read the, uh, you know, the description of it and yeah. everything. But as far as I can tell, it's a, an entire revision. That's really neat. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, then Marco chose Swamp Thing Giant number four. Swamp Thing's back, baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it. I'm obviously a mark for this, so I I don't expect to have any other reason why not to. Uh, and and actually, I found out that uh, Mark Russell has been writing a digital only Swamp Thing book, and yep. I had no idea. It, it's been out for the past few months. And I'm I'm only just finding out about it as I found this out um, for the the something giant number four. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go buy those. I think they're like 99 cents right now in Comicsology, and um, oh. uh, and I love the stuff that he did in the Walmart books. Uh, he had his really really great love story, and it, it, he's an excellent writer. So I'm picking that up. I'm definitely picking this up because I'm a mark for all things swampy. He's a Marco. Hey, so. that was you could do better. <laughs> could I? <laughs> Maybe not, but you should be able to. <laughs> <laughs> you should endeavor for better. Uh, and then you also chose Nailbiter Returns. So Nailbiter was one of the first horror books I picked up 
uh, after I started following Image really heavily a few years back. And this series was great. Uh, Joshua Williamson and, oof, I'm forgetting the artists. Uh, but I I loved the, the, the tone of the book. I loved the premise. And I, I really enjoyed the just the work of it um so i to see that it's coming back is exciting uh, and, and the artist there being mike henderson so yeah i mean this is this is cool for, uh, all around awesome uh i chose far sector number six this is the sort of it, it, it's like a dc black label um I don't know if it's quite Elseworlds, but it's it's definitely taking place in a land far, far away mm-hmm. um, by N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell. It's fantastic. Uh, I really can't sing its praises enough. I've referenced it on the show before. Uh, this is one of the better books, I think, coming out from D.C. right now. Um, it's, it's about a Green Lantern who okay. is sort of – She's sort of put on a backwater planet, in, you know, where she has to deal with their problems and, and different things like that. Uh, somewhere where where no one else wanted to go type thing. And it's a really interesting story showing a lot of future technology and stuff like that with phenomenal artwork. <clears throat> so uh, if any of that sounds appealing to you, you should really check this book out. All right. Before we move forward, I want to let you guys know that we talked a while ago about playing a game of uh, the newlywed game. And we talked about it. We talked about which team would win. Essentially, how how we discussed doing it is uh, the four of us that are here now would bring our girlfriends, wives, fiancés, various stages. The but, comics. Yeah. The comics gals, as it were. Oh, ah. damn. The comics gals. Very good. Very good. What did you think of that? Uh, Jess told me last night while I was drunk. <laughs> Lucky to be remembered. <laughs> Sean, it's so awesome. funny. When you brought up the newlywed game, my, like, I felt my heart sink to my stomach. I was like, are we doing that today? And I was like, Phil's not even here. Like, what <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. I had a different reaction. He said, we need to talk. And I went, oh, no. <laughs> Who died? <laughs> Whose dog is dead? Oh, jeez. Uh, none. No one's. But um, we are doing it. We're going to be doing it in, I believe, two weeks. So we've got two weeks to prepare. Uh, there's there's bragging rights on the line. We haven't yet quite figured out exactly what is going to be on the line. I think by next week we'll have an answer, and we can mm-hmm. tell you guys what we're playing for. Uh, but more than anything, we're playing for bragging rights. <clears throat> Kale and Jess uh, seem to be pretty confident. I think Jess in particular was very confident. It's going to be which of the gals knows the pal the best. I got to say, my confidence is a little shaken. So mm-hmm. as as uh, as I referenced just a second ago, we, we did our uh, drinking stream last night. Yeah. And so today, I'm suffering. And... <laughs> I so I had I had a, a a light pasta lunch, and I was walking around with the hiccups for like an hour. 
So Jess comes up to me and she goes, do you want me to scare you? I said, uh, sure, you can, but fine. <laughs> so she tries to knee me in the balls. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. So I don't know if she knows me as well as she thinks she does. <laughs> Wait, you say that to say that her kneeing you would, would have been accepted or what? He needs as, to the thing, as the thing that was going to scare me? Yeah, it didn't work. Listen, man, uh, I don't know why not. Uh, yeah, a slight scary. breeze could cause me pain. So, I, I don't all right, know. you might want to get I that have... checked out. Actually, a slight breeze. <laughs> 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 get your prostate checked, man. Something's wrong. <laughs> Listen, first of all, number one, let me tell you this: my prostate is not up for discussion on this podcast. Since when? I'm really. I never I'm, agreed to that. I can't stress it enough. That will be the last time <laughs> my prostate is ever referenced on this show. It's been 190 episodes. I, that wasn't in the contract. Well, it is now. Damn. Shit. And second of all, it's just fine. Uh, that being said. <laughs> that being said, two weeks out. Uh, we're going to play the game. Hopefully it goes the way I think it will, and I win. That's the goal. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, set your clocks for that. Um, let's let's jump into the news. Let's jump into the news. So last week we talked about the Snyder Cut, and we talked about, you know, there's going to be this, this four- to six-hour potential series on hbo max which actually just launched this week um and just a couple of days after that it was announced that henry cavill is coming back as superman and everybody was super excited and you know there was a lot of a lot of uh emotion on display because i think a lot of people feel like henry cavill was dealt a bad hand or a bad script or several bad scripts, yeah. but that he himself, that's more accurate, yeah. <laughs> that he himself kind of looked the part and had the the presence of Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a lot of excitement around this. But when you actually read the report from the Hollywood Report, Hollywood Reporter, it doesn't actually sound like he's coming back at all. Uh, they say this. The situation with Henry Cavill and Superman is complicated. Sources tell Heat Vision that Cavill is not in any negotiations for any cameo and that the character is currently not in any written script, not in Black Adam, not the Batman, not even the Flash, which would be the most obvious project to insert the Kryptonian, seeing as the film deals with both time travel and an alternate Earth and could serve as an easy entry point. The key word in all of this is currently. There is, however, interest in and ideas about and exploratory talks regarding what a Cavill appearance might look like. But remember, in Hollywood, anything goes. Cavill as Superman was to have made a cameo in appearance in 2019 Shazam, but when talks got too complicated, the scene was shot with just the Man of Steel's torso. Mm-hmm. So there is no Man of Steel 2. There, there, there is no... Uh, him in 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 Black Adam. These are these are things that people are pulling out of the announcement that simply aren't there. Mm-hmm. So, two questions. One, 
how do you feel about Henry Cavill continuing on as Superman instead of simply being recast? And two, where do you want to see him? I I think I think the easiest thing for them to do now is recast. Uh, I think I I, I way out. I mean, kind <laughs> of that and fair, but like I don't think it's up for debate that the movies he's been able to play Superman in have been divisive, right? And I would agree with the assessment that I, I I think Henry Cavill's a fine actor, and like I think he looks the part well enough. Um, and I I do think you know I remember when we did our our Justice League review, like Phil and I had said some of the like Superman-y moments that were done in the reshoots, mm-hmm. like. You, you're like, yeah, no, like, fuck, I could see a good Superman movie with him. Like, I remember he has, like, it's a very, very, like, golden age, cheesy kind of Superman line where he's like, oh, like, oh, is this guy bothering you, miss, to Wonder Woman? And it's like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like, that that Superman, I think, I, I would I would be here for, you know, if they wanted to give us, uh, or give him, I guess I should say, another shot in a, in a solo film with um, a director who's, you know, like, like, we always throw out, like, Brad Bird. Wait, what'd you say, Kale? <laughs> a director who's competent? Yes, I agree with that. Um, but, you know, like, somebody who I think uh, meets the vision that we've talked about in, in the last couple weeks about what we how we think a Superman movie could succeed. Um, I, I would definitely be fine to see Henry Cavill take another shot at it. But I think at this point it feels like that well is so poisoned and, like, you're already recasting Batman um, – you know, with a a younger actor and, you know, kind of getting your fresh shot there. I feel like it makes sense to do the same thing with Superman. Like, find a young, unknown actor who can be like, you know, um, like Tom Holland is to Spider-Man right now, you know? Like, and it doesn't have to be that young, but, you know, get a guy in his, like, 20s or whatever who has chops but isn't a star and let him be the, the Superman for a new generation because... I don't really feel like we've gotten that, you know? Like, I don't think our generation has uh, a, a Superman actor the way that, like, Christopher Reeves is associated with that character, or the way that, like, you can think of, like, who are all, like, who's your favorite Batman, right? Like, I don't, I feel like it's been a while since we've had that. And I don't think Henry Cavill can't be that guy, but he has the shadow of, like, three movies that people, you know, are pretty fucking split on above him, you know, rather than... Like, I don't think we need to recast Gal Gadot, right? Because she's slayed it, and everybody likes her, and she is Wonder Woman. So, like, keep rolling. I think uh, uh, when when Sean initially asked the question, my first reaction was, no, yeah, Henry Cavill, like, like let him, like, blow right through this. Um, but to your point, Pete, they did recast Batman, and I think it would be effective to sort of start fresh sort of disassociate from some of those movies that a, a portion of people didn't enjoy. And I, I do think that having that clean slate allows you to build upon it a little bit easier than having to sort of muddle in with whatever had been going on previously. Obviously, Wonder Woman and Ezra Miller being the Flash is something that you have to He's out think too, about. though. He's not Flash anymore either, I think. No, he absolutely is the Flash. Yeah, he's he still. Is? Oh, okay. I yeah, thought, I thought I had seen something that he was like not going to be doing it moving forward. Interesting. Nah, he's um, just in a little bit of trouble. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, you obviously have to balance those pieces, but uh, you, you changed my mind on it because I, I, I do think that Henry Cavill does the job well. Uh, and I obviously have to re rewatch the movies to really be able to, to speak on, on his acting and how it sort of fit all together. But I mean, uh, to start fresh is probably the, a good logistical move barring whatever you have to do story-wise with like different characters there. If, if, if anything, if not, you can just clean the slate. I, yeah, I think my thing is, with the recasting of Batman, I, I would be more interested to see how that goes because I think Henry Cavill and, and Gal Gadot are, I think they represent a bit older of uh, an older version of those characters uh, than Robert Pattinson does. Fair. I feel like that doesn't matter that much for Gal Gadot though. Cause like, yeah. I feel like if they, I don't re- know. if they reboot things right now, and and like hard reboot, soft reboot, whatever. Like you could totally just lean into the narrative that they've been pushing since the last like timeline thing, where it's like Wonder Woman's the first superhero. So like, build off of Wonder Woman and Wonder Woman two, and you know let there be a younger Batman and a younger Superman, and like I think that's fine. Like because yeah, Gal Gadot's like older than you know she's not in her twenties, but I don't feel like she looks like she's old. You know, like she's still like like hot and in great shape and everything and like wonder woman is like you know um supposed to be old but ageless so like i i'm fine with that personally i i guess i just mean that like the the character is represented at a more seasoned point in 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 the story sure it's similar similar to the way ben affleck portrayed batman you know um and so I think when you put, you know, when you put Robert Pattinson and Ezra Miller next to Gal Gadot, who, you know, who looks out of place there? Gal Gadot. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I feel like you can make that make sense in lore or in universe lore just because she's supposed to be older. I mean, yeah, you can make anything make sense. They have been, well... DC can't, I guess, but <laughs> my my point is, I I think I would rather uh, Henry Cavill get another shot. Than I'm not going to watch it, but I would rather him get another shot than recast. Uh, and I would also wait to see what the plans for the Batman and Robert Pattinson are going to be, because I don't think Robert Pattinson is going to want to stick around to be Batman for very long. I don't know. I think it it depends. Yeah. Yeah, Once a character kind of gets entrenched, like to whatever whatever degree, and we've seen the success of what happens when a character stays in that, Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., like I think there's there's an incentive to stay on, even if the first movie isn't as great or the, that introduction is a little rocky, I think you can still sort of make up for it. Um, and hopefully the first movie does really well. Yeah. And I think like alternatively, like if it is dope, like if it comes out and it's like this movie fucks and it's like the best Batman movie and it's like a moment like, you know, Dark Knight or 89 was where it's like, fuck Batman's back. Like that's huge for his career, you know, um, because I don't think I don't think that there's the same stigma 
about playing uh, a superhero as there used to be. You know, like I, I, go ahead. I don't think it's got anything to do with all that. I think he's just not that type of actor. Interesting. I mean, well, I don't know. Let me let me jump in because there's there's misinformation and stuff I need to clear up. So number one is a three movie arc. Right. So he will no, be Batman for three movies at least. Mm-hmm. Uh number two, when it comes to Ben Affleck, there is there wasn't an effort to recast him for any reason other than he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Right. So he was originally supposed to play the role. And then he realized he couldn't he couldn't direct it and write it and act in it. That was just too much. So he needed to step back and then realize, like, ultimately, the role of Batman is too stressful. It didn't work out how he wanted. So he's out the door. So bringing Robert Pattinson in wasn't any type of effort to, like, clean the slate so much as it was a necessity. Why not cast an actor? at a similar age to Ben Affleck because the director had a different idea. He wanted to go in a different direction. If we have the opportunity, let me tell this story instead. Yeah. You know, this this story about Batman at a much younger age, which we don't even know how that ties into the DCEU. We have no clue how that ties in to everything else. It, it obviously can't be contemporary with what we saw in Justice League, which in terms of storyline, is the most recent time we've seen those characters. Uh, it can't be that. It has to be way before. So what is, who is Batman for the now, if there is a now? If there's not, right? If there is no, like, continuity anymore, then where does Henry Cavill fit in? Mm. Where does, um, oh my God, Jason Momoa fit in? Right. Yep. All yeah, of those characters, more. I think, and, uh, are are in question. Zachary Levi as well with Shazam. Yeah, and oh, even damn. though he's a little different because he came in and hasn't really interacted with anybody, but even that, where do all of these actors fit in? And I think right. DC really has to get to answering those questions and stop messing around. Uh, I didn't get to say what I think about Henry Cavill. I think he's awesome. I really do. I think he has such great presence on the screen and um i really love him as superman and i totally get that a lot of people didn't like the movies that he was in but similar to ben affleck i don't feel like he was the problem in those movies i think if you didn't like them you probably didn't like the script you probably didn't like the color scheme things like that but i don't feel like he was bad Mm -mm. so if they're gonna continue with a continuity and not just make movies he should stay that's my opinion Agreed. Um, and as far as like, I just can't imagine recasting Wonder Woman at this point, right? Like, yeah. I feel like I, she's not quite Robert Downey Jr. Like, that's synonymous with the character. She's only done one movie. It, yeah. Well, two. Yeah. Right? She fair. Was, no, actually, three. She's been in three movies. Um, true, true. That's true. She was in BBS and Justice League, but yeah. But we haven't had Wonder Woman on screen. She's the first one, right? Like we had um, except for the, 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 the TV TV fucking show. Linda Carter. Yeah, yeah <laughs> we had, we had the, <laughs> like that, and that I think that makes her kind of special in this role, right? Yeah. I, I feel like we, you know, I don't know. I'm just not into. I don't want us to just give up 
what they've done so far because I don't think it was all bad, and I feel like the actors least of all were the problem. I'd be I'd be actively upset if they recast Wonder Woman right now. Um, yeah, my go ahead, Marco. So I, I've mentioned in the past that my mom, when she sees Chris Evans or, or Robert Downey Jr. in TV, she's like, "Oh, uh, Captain America! Oh, uh, Iron Man!" Like, like she does that now for for Gal Gadot. She doesn't know her, she knows her name is like Gal something. But she's like, "Oh, uh, Wonder Woman!" I'm like, "Yep, that's yeah, it. Like, totally. it's it's solidified in in the in the zeitgeist." I for think. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that in a lot of ways. Um, so hopefully they they don't recast. Obviously, they have every intention of keeping Henry around. Let's say he's sticking around. Where do you guys want to see him? I want I want a good Superman movie. Like I and I don't want like Man of Steel two like get away from that like let's you know, um, I I think like let's just straight up make a movie that's just like Superman like it's just called Superman Henry Cavill's the lead guy we fucking like and give us like a a Wonder Woman style take on it in terms of like don't worry about connecting it to everything else like we like i'm with you where i think they need to fucking get this continuity figured out but in the same breath like superman has also only had that one movie that was divisive that was just about him like every other appearance has been him sharing the screen with someone else that needs more screen time than him you know and he's like dead for half of justice league so it's like uh give me a, a movie that's like you know, like, let's explore, like, the, like, Metropolis a little bit more, right? Like, let's get a little bit more of Clark. Like, let's do some of that stuff. Um, and I don't know, like, maybe, like, Jimmy Olsen has a, a nephew <laughs> because Jimmy Olsen's <laughs> fucking dead. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, like, I, like, get to some of the fucking beats that we want, that we know, that we expect, that even the casual Superman fan is aware of. Like, yeah. You know, come on. Like, there's so much untapped. Like, we've, we talked about that in one of our specials. Like, we've never done a movie with fucking Brainiac. Like, like you know, like, shit, man. There's so many things on the board that you could go for. Like, give me something lighter. Give me something that's fun. Give me something that, like, is about hope and, you know, heroism and all that shit. Like, that's what we need right now. I don't want them to try to, like, you know, reinvent the wheel. Give me Lana Lang. Let's go. I, yo, I mean, honestly, I think that's the other that's the other move, right? Is like you go you go for like a younger Superman story, and that would be if they go for the recast. And like, you know, I don't know. I think I think you could make either of those strategies work. You just need a director with a vision and to commit. Yeah. How about you, Kale? Where do you want to see Henry Cavill again? He's not gonna watch it. I'd say I'd watch him on the CW. Ah, <laughs> screw you. No, you wouldn't. You'd say you would and then not watch it anyway. Oh, That's you got me. me. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that's been said. I, you know, I don't I don't know what else there is to say about it. I, I would like to see a, a good Superman movie. I don't know if DC's got it in him. All right. Damn. Yeah, I, I just really don't. I don't get why it's so hard for them to get it right. Cause like you look at the, the last few slate of DC movies, like any of the ones that you could consider, I think even being, you know, like either a success or close to a success. And they've been, they've been like auteur driven, you know, they've been more director driven. It's been like here, there's this person who has a vision. Let's give them the keys. And you know, like, like I wasn't a fan of Joker, 
but it clearly worked, right? And, like, you know, uh, I think what Patty Jenkins has done with Wonder Woman has been great, too. So it, it's like – and now we're, we're seeing the same thing with Suicide Squad. We're like, all right, cool. We're going to bail this out by letting James Gunn make a James Gunn movie. So, like, I don't know. Like, get a Brad Bird or get, like, someone else like that. Like, maybe even somebody younger. Like, somebody who we don't know um, that gives a shit about Superman. I really feel like that's all you need. You know, somebody who's, like, a fan that has that love for the character. Um, and I feel like, again, like, opinions on Zack Snyder vary, whatever. But, like, he's talked about how, like, his his superhero story, his thing that's so close to his heart is Watchmen, which is, like, a deconstruction of the superhero. Like, I feel like you need somebody who has that love, like, the way that Phil does for Superman, who can shoot, you know? You're right. I'd love to see a Phil Superman. I'd like to watch him executive produce one. <laughs> I don't know about his directorial talents, but... <laughs> no, I I believe the S stands for Phil. <laughs> Fair. All right. Well, uh, I know that uh, we're not terribly in love with Zack Snyder right now, but the internet was this week. Because he showcased Darkseid from Justice League, he showed a an image from the from the movie, presumably uh, that includes Darkseid in it. Now, eagle-eyed fans of what Zach has done before noticed that the image of the old god himself is actually something that we've seen before. <gasps> so. <laughs> So on his Twitter page, he shared this image of Darkseid, and this is actually from Justice League. In Justice League, though, standing where Darkseid is was Steppenwolf. So this is a, this is a, a piece from a scene that is referred to as the history lesson. And uh, it's basically the part where they show all the different heroic figures from Earth and some aliens and gods coming together to fight uh, to stop the invasion from Apocalypse. And in that scene is Steppenwolf. Originally, it was supposed to be Darkseid. And the reason why he was removed was because Darkseid wasn't going to appear in the film anyway, and they didn't want to sort of use him that way. So he got chopped off. Um, and that has had a lot of people really excited, of course, because... For me, I know that one of the biggest draws was to see Darkseid. That not happening in the movie at all was pretty lame. So we got that alongside the announcement that that $30 million like, cutoff that we talked about last week uh, is complete BS. Um, the president of HBO Max, Bob Greenblatt, said on um, the Vox's Recode podcast that um, it does not exist. Zach is actually building it, and it's it's complex, including new VX, VFX shots. It's a radical rethinking of that movie, and it's complicated and wildly expensive. I'll just say I wish it was just $30 million and stop there. It's an enormous undertaking and very complex. Damn. So they're just wow. pumping money to him? I wish I could be yeah. the level of con man that Zack Snyder is. Hey now, hey now. He's Wild. trying to he's trying to rebuild what was lost, okay? We talked about sure. this. Sure. Sure. 
and they're just going to hand him money for it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. What do you mean, why not? Uh, To build this masterpiece. Hey, listen, I'm not disagreeing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if you have HBO Max, Kale, but um, based on what. No, I don't. Yeah, that's true. I was just trying to, you know. Um, Based on (laughs) what's on HBO Max, they need the Snyder Cut. They need it. Yeah, Yeah. they definitely need it. Yo, I. Um, random aside, but I sent them screenshots of it once it like literally updated on my phone. Uh, and like I scrolled through, it was like, oh yeah, it has the HBO shit, whatever, whatever. And then their DC offering, light, like compared to what you have on the actual universe app, it's it maybe one or two movies that it has the old Batman movies, but mm. outside of that, nothing. Dude, this whole thing is like, it feels like one of the worst product launches that I've ever seen. Um, I, I desperately hope that they or I hope that they desperately add stuff. They will. They definitely yeah. will is the thing. Like there's no way because like when you think about the name, first of all, is bad. Like HBO Max is a very confusing name for what the actual point of the service is. But like when you think of this as like this is going to be Warner's play for this space, like aside from Disney, they have the biggest library of media content in the fucking world. Like they have DC. They have uh, they have all the Miyazaki films on there. Like you Ooh, know, yeah. they like they uh, they have a lot of stuff in the deck that and like there's Looney Tunes and all that shit up there too now. But like there's so many things that when you talk about this service on paper that should have been there day one that just aren't yet because they're on other services or they're tied up in other deals and they'll eventually end up there and everything fine. But like fuck did they drop the ball with this <laughs> they also uh lied because they put out a press release and the, and on the website actually you could see every movie that was supposed to be up there and on it they had uh bat the batman dark knight trilogy they had the matrix trilogy and those things are not there they're not on hbo max oh shit and they actually took down that that listing <laughs> oh they shit with reporters that the listing was correct, then it launched, wasn't correct, and they took the listing down. So they sold people uh, a lot of lies to get them to buy into the uh, service. Which is just ridiculous because it's like, wait, you know, like wait a little bit longer, like whatever you got to do. Like, you know, I don't know, man. Like, because I just like, you look at how smooth the Disney Plus launch was, and it wasn't though. Like, day one, they had some launch problems with the servers. Like, they had some issues with like content or whatever, but like, they got it together really quickly and then had the Mandalorian and then all of a sudden it was just the narrative was positive, you know? Whereas, like, it feels like Warner is, like, going to have to do the exact opposite where, like, it came out and sucked and then they're going to have to convince people that it was, it'll was it be worth it eventually. Typical DC fucking shit up. The narrative will change. And yeah. In, yeah. In, in six months, we won't even remember how bad this was. Probably. Um, that being said, though, I got to say, I feel like based on how HBO Max launched, like forget all the like movies, the classic stuff that already exists, just talking about the new stuff, right? Um, the, the new stuff was really soft. They don't have like that must binge, that must watch show. And uh, for better or worse, they're kind of positioning the Snyder Cut as that. And I know a lot of people will show up for it. So mm-hmm. when you talk about, I think Kale said, you know, they're, they're giving him all this money and, and why, that's why. Oh, um, yeah. 
And and so to me, it does make sense. The boss of HBO Max, when I read that <laughs> that quote, it was so clear how like mad he was yeah. to give this money. I mean, it's so obvious he doesn't want to do that. Uh, but I think it is. I think it, you can't like whether you like it or don't. I don't think you can argue it's smart to do this. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking about it, right? Kill disagrees. That it's it's well. I mean, I I disagree. I disagree on principle. But at this point, like, if they're pumping all this money into it, into it, why not just remake it, like altogether? Because that costs an astronomically larger amount of money than thirty million dollars. Yeah, or well, sixty million dollars. Yeah, they the you you said the guy said that that thirty million number isn't true and it's expensive and they're just giving him the money. Yeah, but I mean, like, it, like it, make it worth it. Yeah, but I, that's like the difference of because, like, let's look up the budget for Justice League right now. Wasn't it like four or something? It was like four or five hundred million dollars or something like that. Like, it's a ton of money. Uh, okay, it's only three hundred million. Oh, okay, and then but then you double that for yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just an so extra much more money. extra zero. Set, uh... <laughs> they can afford it. There's there's way 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 too many variables with that actors yeah. not being available. Like, it's there's just that's insanity. Um, cowards. <laughs> no guts, no glory. <laughs> Half acid. Of course, it's not going to work. I think it will work, though. Is the thing. Like, I don't know that they'll make their money back, but I think enough people will subscribe and check it out, and then hopefully do what most people do when they subscribe to a service, which is just forget about it. You know, like yep. I like. Have I been watching Disney Plus every every month now that Mandalorian's not on? No, but I also haven't bothered to cancel it. It's like yeah, four dollars or whatever. It's like who gives a shit? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't pay for it. So. Oh yeah, I don't pay for it. That's right. It's free right now. Oh Forget yeah. About that. With, do you, are you on the trial or do you have it with through your cable or whatever? The the Verizon deal. Yeah. 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 Nice. Yes. All right, yeah, Marco. Just get Disney that shit for free too. So hey, like, quarantine yes. high five. I love it. What'd you say, Pete? I said yes. I mean, you guys are just getting it for free. Yeah. More or less. But. But even so, like I don't use Netflix absolutely every month. No, so I mean, it's I'd like more, probably more, you know, like, to some degree, but like not, you know. Yeah, there's not always something I'm watching, so like there are plenty of times where stuff sits. Exactly, I I think it's fine. Um, so with the context of the conversation we just had, right? And and uh, you know, I I know we don't want to talk about the Snyder Cut, but I feel like this is. This is so interesting. If it does well, does that change your perspective on whether or not DC should uh, switch things up? Like if it does well and it really is a boom for HBO Max, does it make sense at that point to try to get Ben Affleck to come back and continue the story? No, I don't think so. Yeah, definitely not to get Ben Affleck back. I think to push forward with Cavill probably, but to to bring back like – the the dark side concept and to bring back the Affleck I, I don't I don't think that makes sense I don't I don't see that I don't know that it's possible for this to be so good that that matters good or profitable those aren't the same thing that's true but that I think that's... profitable I think that's the yeah the same they're not the same but I in context of what Pete's saying I think that's there's no way it's going to be so profitable that it it's going to be worth going through all that. I I agree. I think that's the case. 
Um, just because the movies that he was doing for them were not making those kinds of returns. You know, like, mm. you look at the box office on... And take Justice League out of it, because it was a fucking, you know, camel. Um, but BVS, right? Like, didn't... Like, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't the success that I think they wanted a movie that had the names Batman and Superman in the title to be, right? Um, so, uh, I I think that you're right, that doing this as a play to get people interested in HBO Max is a good idea, because... Mm. There's a conversation around it. There's buzz around it. Like, it's been a meme for, like, two or three years at this point or whatever. And now, all of a sudden, everyone's talking about HBO Max. And everyone's talking about this and when it's coming. And when it comes out, even if it sucks, it'll lead to dozens and dozens of podcasts and think pieces and, oh, go watch it and you you can weigh in, you know? And, yeah, like, it's going to do the thing that they want it to do. Um, so it's almost immaterial, like, how good it is or, or whatever, if they can, like, tout after that came out, oh, we have, you know, 30 million concurrent users right now, or we have 10, you know, whatever. Like, that's what they care about with this. Um, and I think there's no way that it makes enough money that, like, that it's that it justifies being like, oh yeah, we were wrong three years ago. Like we sh- we should have stayed the course because I don't think the course was working. I think this works and is a moment now because of the mystique around it and the conversation that's been happening and and how divisive it is, you know. But that doesn't necessarily work for like people showing up to the movies. All right, we we shall see. Yeah. One one quick thing. Um, mm. Under under this uh, uh, image of Darkseid on uh, Zack Snyder's Twitter account, uh, Ryan Brennan at Ryan Bre nine three double oh seven eight one three says, after all is said and done, Zack Snyder's films will live on for the ages. Enjoy them, guys. We won't get comic book action right off the page like this man does it at Zack Snyder at HBO Max at AT and T. To which AT and T replied. Just the facts. Nice. <sighs> sure. <laughs> Makes you want like to throw it. up, but okay. <laughs> so something that uh, I don't think will make Pete want to throw up is Wind, which is a new book coming from James Tinian. What a segue. And, uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> thanks. And uh, Michael Dialinus. Um, so... Sorry? I think I was like, that sounds right. <laughs> James Tinian is is just hot right now. I mean, you talk about a guy who just has the hot hand. Um, he launched Something is Killing the Children, mm-hmm. which has done fantastically. And, One of your favorite uh, books of last year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, actually was the highest selling creator-owned book for Boom. And then hit that record again with Wind. So Damn. Wind isn't even out yet. But of course, you know, stores have to order it and things like that. And it has the highest orders of any creator-owned book over at Boom. Um, so congratulations to James on that. Uh, okay. and, and the book looks awesome. I'm going to read the synopsis. There's actually a trailer, too, if you want to check it out. You can find that on YouTube. Um, but uh, the synopsis is... 
Wind introduces readers to a world where magical heritage is punishable by death. So a young boy named Wind must keep his true identity and pointy ears a secret from everyone in Pipetown, even if it means he'll never have the normal life he wants. But when his secret is threatened, Wind is forced to leave his home behind to embark on a dangerous quest that will put him at the heart of a royal conspiracy beyond his imagination. So you guys got to check out the trailer. What do you think of the book? It, it looks fun. It looks like a uh, like a fantasy sort of almost like coming of age story in that it's a, it's a younger character and they're trying to like cope with this sort of reality and the dangers they're in. It looks like fun, and I know that that Tinian works really well in this kind of space. He also does um, the woods, which I, I really enjoyed. And that has a, not necessarily like a, a it has like a similar cast where it's like a younger group of, uh, of yeah. characters and and they have to sort of live in this sci-fi fantasy world. So I I expect this to, to do pretty well. And I, his work is consistent. I, yeah. I I think this is this is a big thing for for Boom as well as for his career. I mean he, he's he's obviously been you know hitting it out of the park consistently. And Boom is one of those places in comics that content good content is continually getting pushed out from there so this is just you know icing uh, on the cake for for boom yeah for sure i i'm very interested in this i i, I really like the look of the art um the, they have like a, a cover here in the newsarama article that it's just like it's got a lot of very like soft colors mixed with like pastels and, like, the mixture of, like, the dark and light is something that's really appealing to me. It's got, like, kind of, like, a <clears> – it's very, very modern. Like, it's, like, almost, like, vaporwave, you know, um, kind of look to it, which is tight. Uh, so from a visual perspective, like, it kind of immediately clicked with me. But I also – this is just, like, the kind of story that I, I find myself gravitating towards. Like, I like um, – I like a good coming-of-age story for sure. But I, I particularly love – like, this is, like – this has, like, X-Men vibes to it, right? Where it's, like, they're young. They're, like, this other fighting against this, like, oppressive regime. And, you know, the fact that, like, there seems to be, like, this juxtaposition of, like, the theme of, like, you know, they are magic. And, like, magic is usually very naturalistic and very, like, connected to – you know, the earth or, or whatever planet or wherever we are in the story. And it's this, you know, like basically this like fucked up government system, human system uh, that's like oppressing and fighting against the natural order and nature, you know, and like those are themes that generally strike a chord with me. Um, so, yeah, this this seems really cool. Yeah, I I think this looks really awesome and i have to say um james is doing such great work in that space uh because something is killing the children is i mean it's very dark but it's also a book about young people and it follows you know this young protagonist so i feel like he's kind of found his niche kind of like where he thrives and telling stories about young people that resonate i'm not a kid but uh, I, I feel connected to these books easily. And I think this is another one that will work for me. I feel like 
I feel like if you have a good writer who writes about that time in a way that's like mature, you know, because like obviously like YA stuff is is great for younger kids or whatever. Um, but I think a lot of like YA stuff is usually not, you know, it's not mature enough in theme for older readers. Whereas I think like stories that are about, you know, um, coming of age or, or being a kid or whatever, like that are really, really well executed are wonderful because as a kid, you connect with them because they're true to your experience and what you're going through then. But I think as an adult, you can appreciate them too, because we've all been there. We were all kids. We all had to struggle to find our place in the world and, you know, and all that, and, you know, maybe still are uh, in some ways, um, yeah. even as adults. Right. So I think those are just themes that are universally appealing. Yeah, so this book will actually be out on June 17th, uh, which is not that far away. So if you're into that, um, pick it up. Look forward to that. Yeah. So Marvel is doing something that is very, very interesting and unique. And I think, um, I think it speaks to a problem that they're having. Mm. So let's talk about it. Marvel is publishing a guide called Previously in Marvel Comics. And what it is, is it's a kind of a handbook, you know, a guide that's going to catch you up or remind you of the things that have been happening in the Marvel Universe as of late. Obviously, with the coronavirus, Marvel has not been able to publish books for, you know, several months at this point. They haven't published up until this, up until now, uh, I think this week, this week was their first time publishing in two or three months. A lot of people have been saying, I don't remember what I was reading. I don't remember what's happening in these comics. And so Marvel is answering that with this recap guide, which I think is absolutely genius. And I almost wish this was something that could be done uh, with more regularity, but mm. Empire is Marvel's upcoming event, mm. and there's been a lot of negativity surrounding the fact that people feel completely lost going into it. Um, not to mention that now Marvel has also announced that the event won't even be as big as it was supposed to be because several of their tie ins are not going to happen. Yeah, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I was just saying, oh, yeah, like shit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Tom Brevoort had this to say about it. The Empire Preview Magazine will give readers an advanced inside look into Empire and how it impacts on all the Marvel Universe characters across, not just in the main series, but also the assorted time projects where the events of Empire were spilled into other titles. The Empire Preview Magazine was produced before the world outside our windows went all weird, so you'll find it contains some outdated information. While Mighty Marvel's publishing plans may have changed due to this pandemic pause, this publication is still packed with useful information and behind-the-scenes insight we wanted to share with our fantastic fans. So uh, he also says, And even though certain stories will no longer be tying in with the event, you never know. Someday we may re revisit these cool concepts and characters. There's a whole list of uh, titles that, or supposed to be tie-ins that may or may not be happening at this point. We don't know. They haven't been clear. But do you guys think that Marvel should push Empire back 
and should give readers more time to reacclimate themselves with the world of Marvel? Or do you kind of feel like they're stuck between a rock and a hard place? I think uh, the the very publication of this probably indicates that they should give readers time to get back into the rhythm. And especially if they had the, the original plans to include all these other crossovers and they've decided to shrink it just because they need to get it out. I don't know that that's, I, I feel like from, from, from previous events, previous examples, we, we've seen that that's not always a good, a good thing to, to sort of, Re revise things prior to to launch. Even though obviously this is a different situation, I still think that there's an advantage from a story perspective to allowing more time to to be able to to fix or course correct. Mm. And um, I I think overall this is a really good idea. I love the name previously and like like previously and it feels like a, a like like the opening to a cartoon or something. Yeah, dude, like, like that, that. That's cool. I immediately heard the the the, the voice previously in. It's like, oh, um, previously in the Marvel universe. And so I I think this is a really good idea. And when you mentioned that you wish other companies would do this or would do this more frequently, I think I think it would be cool to have sort of an aggregate of what happens in events in the event that you fall off or what happened in the past month over certain storylines. So like, let's say, you know, you're picking up Batman, but you forget the past two or three issues and maybe something was going on with Aquaman. And at the same time with the flash, you can pick this up and it sort of just tells you like an overall summary of, okay, this is what they did. This is how they interacted. Cool. Here's this thing. And you can pick it up in a single issue versus having to read like nine. Yeah. And I feel like that would, because we've talked about how like comics used to be written in just a much different way right like comics used to be a little bit more uh episodic and you know comics used to be written with the mindset of like every issue should be able to be someone's first issue and i don't i don't really feel like you can make that argument anymore like maybe with some books but you know i i feel like uh, big two stuff is like so based on what's happening in the universe at that time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if I'm somebody who, like, has been hearing about how great the X-Men are right now and, like, I could really go for that, but it's like, oh, so now I got to go buy this $40 trade for those 12 issues and then find this. And, like, it, it, it there's a barrier of entry there. And if you could just pick one of these up, like, if there was one every month, you know, where it's like, hey, like, here's what's going on in like a short kind of accessible synopsis so that you could pick up Marauders 10 and know what the fuck's happening. That would be cool. And I think that could really like, that could encourage people to check out books that they've heard good things about, but they don't necessarily want to commit to like finding every fucking issue or like waiting for the trades or whatever. Cause it's easy to forget too. Like Marco said, where it's like, Oh, I heard that book's good. I'd love to pick that up. And then you just don't, you know, or it comes out six months later and you're not thinking about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, yeah, actually it'd be cool if you get like up and coming talent to actually draw it out as like comic formats and, in um, and, and have it in larger summaries. It'd be a cool way to like, to like test certain artists and writers, um, Separately, I feel like just, the, just thinking the mechanics of it. I think that's cool. I think my concern there is then, like it, like you probably have to charge for it. Yeah, this is free. Um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And I'd want it to stay free. Like uh, I don't know, like um, 
you guys know that that uh, circular that you see at a lot of stores where it's like the comic book news, and it's mm, like yeah. it's like a newspaper. Um, I would be sick if it was like that, or if it was like the free previews that like Marvel or DC will drop, where it's like, oh, like next month this new series is coming out. Like here's like two pages from it or three pages from it or whatever. Um, I, th- I think having it be like something that you grab on your way out or that the you know uh, person behind the counter like slides in your bag as you're going, like that would be the way to do it, you know. What Whoa! What the bro? fuck are you sliding in my bag, bro? You can cool. you can take that out of here. Easy, easy. Oh, is that? Is, oh, previously? Oh, yeah, that's cool. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, previously, it was Coke. <laughs> I'm definitely that asshole. Where, like, if they try to go put the news in there, I'm like, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I don't want the ink to get on my yeah, books. Yeah. Like, please don't do that. <laughs> Pete just hands him a card that says, "I already know." Thanks. <laughs> I don't know if I'm as high as on this as you guys are. Um, what this says to me is that too much is going on. Hmm. That's uh, <laughs> for me. Like, if if your problem is that people are coming up to you and saying, "I have no idea what's going on. It's been three months since I've read my books." Why aren't your books good enough? To- for them to pick it up and want to reread it. Uh, like, why is there so much happening that you can't keep track? It feels to me more like, and, and we've, we've complained about this before. It, 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 there's so much going on They're They're more focused on quantity over quality. To build on that point and answer your other question, Sean, I do think that they should push the event back um, because I mean, we talked about how – and obviously it came up in this story again about how like there's a lot of books that they're trimming. Like they're scaling back their offerings right now. Um, and yeah, I just I, – I don't see how it's a good idea to rush an event out the gate. Like Tamarco said to like kind of check the box of, well, we need to get it out. It's like why though? Like – like I get it, I'm sure that there's money invested and and everything, but like unprecedented unprecedented situations call for creative solutions, and I feel like you'd be better off um, letting people like have a month or two or three or however many to kind of like try to get back in the rhythm. Because like God forbid, can you imagine if there's like another shutdown by the end of the summer and like halfway through the event it gets fucking delayed or something like. That's not unheard of. That could happen. And uh, it just it, – it seems like a risk to me. To, to counter that point, I guess they they probably want the event to happen to bring people back. I think that's mm. probably a good use case. But I don't know that that's as forward-thinking as they were with like, okay, we'll give it like a week to publish – to start republishing books and let things settle down before we start like launching some of our titles. Cause like um, what happens if your local shop is closed and you can't even get this? Mine is still closed. So like I, I can't yeah. go into the city to pick stuff up. There isn't, there isn't a shop near me that's open right now. Do you guys feel the same way about Dark Knight's death metal? I haven't heard anything about Dark Knight's death metal, so I don't. Well, talked was... about it. We just talked about, oh, he wasn't on that, that episode. Oh, yeah. okay, damn. Say, that was the one we just talked about. Um, when is that? When does that start again? This what? week? That's June 16th. 
Damn. What 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 happened with that? There's a there's a fucking Batman dinosaur, bro. <laughs> the B Rex. Oh, yes. no, I know about that. But I feel like I feel like that and with what Snyder and Capullo uh set out to do with uh geez, what it, it was it was the, the previous one was just metal, right? Yeah. That one was fairly standalone, wasn't it? I mean, it had a few tie-ins, but it wasn't like it wasn't like a, a universe-shattering event like every other Marvel one is. Yeah, it was. To read Metal, you had to know. I mean, you could read it any way you wanted, but if you wouldn't have known who the Batman who last was or where he came from, you wouldn't have understood who his allies were and where they came from. Uh, the book touches on it but you don't get it's very broad strokes if you don't read those things mm. um and dark knight's metal had massive implications on the rest of the dc universe i think mm. the reason i feel differently about that versus this event is because that event builds on something that already happened and i not to say that this event doesn't right because like it's building on what's currently happening in the marvel universe but like I guess that just seems more digestible. Like, because I, I like the fact that people are complaining that they feel confused by this and that, like, they feel like they feel out of touch with what happened or whatever. Like, I don't feel like that same conversation was happening around metal. And I, I guess I could be wrong. Um, I mean, but, but the event hasn't started. No one, no yeah. one, you're talking about metal, but metal happened years ago. But so. I, I, I think that I think that's what Pete's point is: is that because it happened not in not in the same occurrence as COVID, and that 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 natural gap, uh, or that that unnatural gap, wasn't forced upon us, right? We're like th- we understand that metal was a few years back, and so we we've had that time to digest it, and so this is the relaunch of it, not something that is happening concurrently. Like, like, like I, I true, but but <laughs> I but then I, I guess like what what when was the last metal related book published death so they've been on the road to death metal literally since the end of metal like everything that's happened except for the events that have come after so heroes in crisis and doomsday clock have been leading to metal and even doomsday clock because it has dr manhattan in it led to dark knight's metal you wouldn't know where he came from if you didn't read that Mm. i don't know not to mention snyder's whole justice league run which is all about this mm. yeah i don't know i i guess to your point i guess it's not that different i guess perception of it is very different like i i feel as someone who's on the outside of what's happening in both of the main continuities or continuities right now um <laughs> i just saw sean laughing at me <laughs> yeah totally what was that about jeez a little my laugh <laughs> No, no, well, uh, oh, Pete correcting himself. Yeah. <laughs> He'd never once done that on the show. <laughs> yes, I have. I say it right ever since I got called out in that fucking video. Um, anyway, uh, as someone who's outside of both of those things, when we talked about that event, I didn't feel like I couldn't understand what it was and what it meant and where it fit in, even if I – and obviously Marco and I didn't really have that full context, but it was easy to digest. It was very like, okay, cool. It's this follow-up to this thing that I know about and I know who some of those players are and I can understand the pitch very simply, you know, rather than um, 
what's it, uh, Empire, which, like, you know, like, just hearing that, that means nothing to me. You know, like, that feels like something mm. new. That feels like something that I need context for. Um, so I don't know. But, but, we but, also but that's hold on. I'm sorry, but that's not fair because we haven't even read a synopsis for Empire. We read a whole, we did a whole article about. Yeah, that's about, fair. Uh, yeah, that's not right. Well, but, but you also, asked me how we feel like that. I'm just playing with the cards <laughs> I have. On the, you know, man, like yeah, but <laughs> you, but you but you can't say that it that it doesn't feel like it makes sense. All right, when we haven't. You know, like so. Read me a description. This <laughs> is the question again. I I, I I can find one right now. <laughs> Go ahead, Kale. There's also the pedigree behind metal that has been building uh, up. You know, up to now, Snyder and Capullo have been working together for years on Batman and building up to Justice League and metal and death metal and uh whatever the fuck um so more kinds of metal good lord uh yeah bronze uh iron man and and what oomph metal oomph metal yeah he said oomph oomph Oh Christ! You idiot! What kind of comic book fan are you? <laughs> Man, Dark Knight's metal has fucking dinosaur Batman. Fuck off, Empire! Like that's not right. <laughs> that is fair too. <laughs> they showed me a picture of a T Rex in a Batman costume. I'm fucking in. Done. That's We're it. I'll read all Justice League to get to that shit. <laughs> Oh boy! Sometimes, guys, doing this podcast with you is very trying. Yo, I wait, wait! Say. Empire was about like the the young the young kids or whatever. No, nice. Oh. <laughs> is that the magic I... thing? No, nope, no. What the hell is it about? Just guess three more things. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, to my knowledge, it's about Hulkling being. I don't know the fucking king of the scroll crees or something. Empire what? is about the Cree and the scroll uniting to come for Earth. And oh. Teddy's Teddy Hulkling is caught in the middle of it. Indeed. Boom. I don't even know what that fuck's up that fucking book's about, and I know what it's about. Yeah, I'll tell you this: the image of Teddy that they have for this is pretty fucking cool. My man looks c- cut. On on the subject of the the previously in Marvel Comics uh, guide, I I love the idea and I think it would be cool if they kept it going. I just worry about the idea that it could negate uh, people's desire to buy the issues that are being referenced. I wonder how yeah, that would impact sure. sales. Yeah, and that sort of goes back to what I was saying. Like, you know, if 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 say it goes down that route it's just like well you know if people can pick it up by the synopsis in the previously in marvel comics like what's the point of making it like what are you doing i i I was thinking of it from the perspective of somebody who's fresh coming into it like for me i know starting out i would have loved something like that so i know what the fuck i'm doing as i'm getting into let's say i'm like really interested 
in Iron Man. I'm like, oh, all right, so what's been going on? Oh, cool. Okay, I have that context. And let's say they're in the middle of an, of an arc, so not necessarily explaining what's been going on. I think it'd be advantageous to have had that for me to be interested in picking up some of these books. Because that was one of the biggest challenges for me for either DC or Marvel was just it felt too big for me to, to just jump in on something. Yeah, I mean, like, I was reading, <clears throat> like, when I got back into comics as a teenager, I was reading Marvel books for probably, like, a year or two before I started picking up something that was currently happening, you know? Yeah, I, I feel like the positive end of something like that long term would be that we could just not have to go to Wikipedia to mm. try to learn everything about a particular character or something that's going on in order to jump in. I think it's really strange that neither Marvel or DC have entry points or ways to inform you about what's been happening that don't just kind of involve you just going to Wikipedia by yourself. Yeah. Um, and it is, it is absolutely a barrier of entry, but I think, I think, just to the idea that this is servicing people who need to catch up, not just on how we got to Empire, but what what's happening in general. I think during this time, throughout this pandemic, obviously we have not been able to read new Marvel comics. There has been a gap. For whatever reason, people are choosing to complain about um, not remembering their place in where they were. Even I mean, they are people, everybody, so... Well, everybody watches TV shows and, you know, we don't complain about uh, not remembering what happened last season. But, you know, fucking saga takes a year off between arcs. Like, shut up. Get over it. It's been three months. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. Come well, on. And also, also, like, there's a recap page in front of every issue. Am, right. Am, am, I, am I wrong? Now like, you guys are talking. Let's go. That's exactly right. That's like, exactly like, I think right. this is a good idea, but like, I don't need this shit. Like, we picked up, you know, we're about to read Marauders again. Like, I fucking remembered what was happening because I liked the book. Yo, oh, I, I did. Yeah, that. no, that's that's a different thing. We we are we we are about to talk about Marauders because <laughs> I would have I would have liked to have had this recap for Marauders. Fuck, idea what's going on? Good. In this kill, kill Lambat. No, you don't need this. It's pointless. I can't remember shit. I need it. <laughs> but that's but that goes back to what I'm saying. Like, I read Marauders ten. Like, if I don't know where I am in this book. It's because I didn't care enough, and it wasn't of enough quality for me to remember it. What? But but wait 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 wait. But you went back. Hell no, I didn't go back. I got oh, you, oh what, shit really? to do. Oh damn. Okay. Well, I went back. I feel like I would. I feel like with this, I'd be like, oh cool, because I like the completeness of things. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely have gone back to pick up. Was like, oh shit. Okay, interesting, interesting, cool. Like, like, like let me get that additional context, like the nuances of some of the whatever was, was happening in the issues. So I definitely went back. I what would am be I excited to know what you learned because <laughs> not much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite books being published right now is Daredevil by Chip Zdarsky. If you put a gun to my head and told me I needed to tell you what happened in the most recent issue or I would die, I'd be dead. But you you couldn't give me a, a sentence absolutely not. synopsis about what's happening in the book. What's happening in the book overall, without question, but in the last issue, no way. Ah, right, then what are you doing, man? 
but that's what? the thing, Kayla's. I think you're totally full of shit. Like we, we do we do fucking book clubs and you're like you regularly are like Damn. oh they never mentioned this they never explained this and I'm like no they did here on this page in this panel and you're like well I didn't remember it so obviously it wasn't that good and it's like no what you just fuck didn't fuck fucking remember it He's being ages what are you just throwing this shit around for I know Sean what would I'm be talking laughing about. his ass off if it wasn't true. <laughs> Christ, it's factual. (laughs) Absolutely. That's a thing I've done in multiple reviews or book clubs where one of you, usually you, are like, oh, they never explained this. It's like, yeah, no, they did right here. It's easy to forget details. I fucking forget shit all the time. Just eat the crow, Kale. (laughs) You know how many fucking things I've read or watched that I have, like, no recollection of? (laughs) Well, speaking of no no recollection, uh, let's talk about a book that I'm sure we all had to stretch our minds to remember how it got to where it was. Let's talk about Marauders number 10. Some more than others. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now that all the shade has been thrown, uh, (laughs) let's let's talk about. Marauders number 10. So it's uh, Jerry Duggan, Stefano Caselli, Edgar Delgado. Uh, and just to kind of start the conversation off, raise your hand if you remember the last time you read the book and what was happening. Oh, I vaguely remember Katie Pride died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I That's remember it. I remember the, the people in, in like the big robotic suits that have the anti-dampening power or whatever. And then Uh-oh. Kitty dies. Yeah, nope. Well, I actually thought I was like, okay, well, I don't remember what the last issue I, I read was. So I went back to issue eight because I knew I read seven. I recalled that because uh, that's where Kitty died, I think. Six. Or it was the issue that immediately after. That's yeah. right. So there was a whole issue of fucking Sebastian, whatever the fuck Shaw, his name yeah. is. And that was in between. Motherfucker, I hate this book. (laughs) So I went back and read issue eight. And halfway through reading issue eight, I was like, oh, yeah, I read this. So then I went and read issue nine. And I realized I hadn't read that. Okay. So uh, that caught me all up on on how we got to this place. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, The last thing that I remembered was Kitty dying. You know, from Shaw drowning her or whatever, and then and that was in six, and then I I started reading seven, and I was like, I think I read this, but I just finished it, and then I hadn't read eight, nine, or ten, so I did all those in a clip. I was convinced that issue six, where Kitty dies, was issue nine, so I jumped right. I was too. I jumped. I totally was too. I was like, I didn't miss any. Or no, you know what it was? Fucking hell! I thought it was. I thought it was uh, eight. Because I knew we had not reviewed it that one week on the show when Marco hosted. So I was like, oh, right. so I've only missed one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nope. <laughs> Yo, so. Jesus Christ, where has the time gone? I have no idea. Right <laughs> Time's a fucking meaningless flat circle now. But what was crazy. No wonder I was lost. Shit. What, what was crazy <laughs> was that like, I was like following. I, 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 I followed through because I'm like, oh, these people still have the power dampening shit. These the uh what is it the the you know Kitty died okay they they were trying to revive her and shit what threw me off was the what was it the yellow jacket stuff mm, yes and I was yeah, like I forgot I was... about that no I didn't know about that I mean I I I I forgot that uh he had infected with it but I didn't realize that there had been ramifications 
like from that. And so I'm like, wait, what? What's going on? What, what is it? And I'm like, huh, maybe I missed one. Uh, I went back one and I was like, I don't remember any of this. Huh, maybe I missed two. I went back another one. I was like, oh shit, what? <laughs> and I just kept going back until finally so I until finally I hit the the cover uh where there's just like the robot guy uh and they're attacking uh Storm's like attacking. That's seven, right? Six, bro. Oh, that's six, okay. So we should we should talk about what actually happens in this issue. Uh, and it, it starts with a scene that I thought was kind of funny where Sebastian Shaw has one of the mutants, uh, Tempo. Yep. I think her name. Yeah, Tempo. Um, <laughs> aging whiskey. Using her powers to age whiskey. I did like what a, that. What a bastard. I know. What? He sucks shit. <laughs> That's like, it's a great idea, but he just sucks. Like <laughs> I He's loved such it. An asshole. I I'm like, not saying that. Go ahead. I know. I, I love it. It was like hell yeah. Okay, like if Wolverine told Temple, like, "Hey, could you do me a favor and age me up some whiskey?" That's that's one thing. But Sebastian Shaw is such a douchebag <laughs> that for him to be the one is just like nah. Yeah, no, I, I was totally with you. Like, I'm just like, this guy's such a scumbag. <laughs> And he's like describing it to her, and she's like, "Whatever, dude. Yeah, I don't on the care. nose, I can smell apricot and cinnamon on the and on the palate." It's like, shut the fuck up, Sebastian. I fucking hate you. And I I love the uh, the panel just above that one that you referenced, where Storm is walking in, and she just looks so good right there. Like the color scheme of her outfit, the cape. Just fantastic. I, I think this this was one of the better looking issues and spaces uh, of this series that has had trouble with the art, I think. Yeah, I and mean, the art's definitely been inconsistent. Um, but I, I think, like, the conversation between Forge and Storm, too, like, the, the facial work there is really, really strong for the most part. Ooh, you think? Yeah. Look at that fucking shot that, of Forge. Uh, that's, like, that's a good, that's a good one. I disagree. Well, I mean, it's it's certainly a face, but like, uh, <laughs> like I to it, it didn't do the work I thought it needed to. I I know I had been critical of the art previously, and this this one turned it around for me. Uh, Caselli's art, uh, at least for 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 this issue, I was like, oh, this is pretty well done. And I think it might have something to do with the. Has Edgar Delgado always been on the colors? No, I don't think so. I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think he's always been on it. Who can keep track anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's right. the thing. It's it's really hard to keep up with who's on art on this book right now, but I don't. That's not a name I recognize. Uh, I'm I'm looking now. Uh, he was on at least the most the two most recent issues prior. Yeah. So yeah. Well, Loli's art definitely uh, not a fan of. He didn't do. He he wasn't on six. He started on seven. Delgado did. Oh okay okay. So maybe yeah. maybe that changed into because I know uh, was it Matthew Lowley has had been on the art and I I've not been a fan of oh Matteo Lowley I've not been a fan of his stuff. So Caselli coming in and Delgado I think is a good combination for me. Yeah, agreed. I agree. So the uh, the issue does pick up with you know characters reacting to the loss of Kitty Pride. Now everyone kind of knows what's going on. Everybody's on the same page with it. And, you know, you see the raw emotion 
of these characters. Uh, we didn't review the issue on the show because Marco chose not to. But I stand by that it. That was why. That was why I didn't read it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was that awesome moment, um, or maybe that was an issue eight, but I think it was nine, where Storm has this very visceral reaction and she slaps Kitty and, you know, Emma. they. <clears throat> Emma, sorry, yeah. Uh, and they have that, that great moment. <clears throat> um, and I think this issue does a good job of following up on the pain that these characters are in, but you also start to get them, start to see them reacting and doing things. And I was really happy to see the the train kind of moving forward. And the X-Men aren't playing games. That scene with Iceman, um, yeah, where him and Storm... Intense. Hit, yeah, awesome stuff. Oh, there's two like that, though, right? Because this is the one... Yeah, yeah. All right, so this one was cool in this issue, too, where they go and they, they pull off the whole plan. But I thought the... I guess that was in 9 or 8, where him and um, Bishop go... And he get like he threatens everybody, and he's like ready to kill everyone, and like gives everyone frostbite and everything. That was like, yeah. yikes! That was eight. Oh, very... that was in okay. That was in nine. Yeah, that was in nine. I, yeah. I, no, no, I that, read that them was both. Issue eight. It, uh, oh, that was eight. Oh. Okay. The, the slap, I all today, the, so I don't the, the slap and the ice was both in issue eight. Okay. 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 I really dug that. Yeah. Um, I thought that. I, I, I feel like it. It feels like genuine reactions for for these characters you know like that like their their pain from this feels like very very you know um i think it's coming across well and it's like it's just scary whenever you see iceman get unhinged because you know how like how fucking powerful he is you know yeah totally like he could have excuse the pun but he could have iced all those dudes and like like seconds literal seconds remember when that dude used to throw snowballs at people yeah, right? Like Remember remember when that dude was a snowball? <laughs> His original powers were I could kinda make myself into a snowman, I guess. And then now he could just probably wipe out all life on the planet in an hour. I love uh the the Emma Frost and Pyro pairing. That was that was yeah, really that was fun. Cool. Uh and the way that Emma deals with those those goons by basically just showing her body and that that allows them to be susceptible to her mind control so smart i think jerry duggan uh really is tapping in more to these characters and and giving us better moments overall i feel like the earlier issues we didn't really get those as much um just strong character moments and i i love the fact that the the kitty pride death alleged death is motivating him to you know bring more emotion out of these characters to put them in interesting situations and see what happens when uh, when emma does that my first thought was damn i would have lost a knee (laughs) (laughs) dude when 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 i was first looking at that page i was like you just have them all shoot each other in the dick. <laughs> brutal. Like, that would have been fucking brutal. <laughs> oh, speaking of the Emma Pyro pairing, this is another one from one of the previous issues, but I liked uh, their interaction with the new Hellfire Club too. Where yeah, <laughs> that was that was rad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah where uh, that real fucking power move burns them up, but like only in their minds. Yeah, that was cool. 
So what did you guys think about? Because like, there's that whole subplot with Forge and this guy who has a photogenic memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and Forge brings him to Krakoa. Yeah. And then they, that, they set... They bring yeah. he brings him to Krakoa, and then he sets him up on that um, that other strip of land that they own, right? Where the Morlocks live, right? I thought they're in Arizona, no? Yeah, but yeah, that's it. That's what he's talking right. about. Right? That's yeah. that's what. Yeah, that's where I'm talking about. Is that um, not like Arizona, the U.S. or is that Arizona? Like no, a- no, it is. I'm just saying the mutants oh, own oh. it. <clears throat> It says, I'll make sure you enjoy the Krakoan retirement plan in Rio Verde, Arizona. Yeah. And, like, we had we had seen this and had this mentioned in one of the earlier issues um, when the Morlocks were first kind of, like, introduced here where it was, like, I guess, I guess the mutants kind of gave them this as, like, a, you know, a consolation prize. Reparation. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, something yeah. like that. Um. So yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that's interesting because I don't, I don't feel like that is meaningless. Like, I have right. to imagine that he is going to be a piece that comes into play in the future. Um, but I mean, he seems chill. Like, I, the fact that like he intentionally like uh, tampered with the tech to make it shittier, and it seems like he's you know like one of us. You know, so like. Yeah, I imagine if anything, he'll probably be used against them again, like where he'll get kidnapped or some shit and like his knowledge will be dangerous. But um, I don't think that he specifically represents a threat. That's not my read right now. Anyway, I feel like the X-Men and it's best represented probably in this book. They're doing things I don't think they would have really done before. Uh, they're they're pushing they're pushing themselves to the extreme in terms of like what they're allowing themselves to do. I mean, just the way that um, Emma Frost had all these guys shoot each other. Uh, we saw in a prior issue the the, the ice the big Iceman scene. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of things. The 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 one issue of X Men, which obviously is not Marauders, but where uh, I think it was Gorgon cut all those guys' arms off, all the... Yeah. You know, they're really taking, pushing to the limits what they're allowed to do. They have this one rule where they're not allowed to kill humans. They'll do anything, but... Dude, yeah, that joke that Bishop made where he's like, let them know that kill no man doesn't mean beat no man's ass. After he's, like, <laughs> shooting all these dudes. Like He's like, I'll leave one of you alive. I only need one person to tell me the information. Yeah, and I feel like that that escalation is going to be a factor because yeah. we've never really seen them quite like this. No, I, I mean, and I, Marco's been banging this drum since the beginning, like in House and Powers, where like, I think that's super fucking compelling uh, because yeah. like they, the the rules are totally changed now, you know, like, and, and I think like, Part of what makes this book so interesting is like what it has to say about politics and that they're not simple, right? And that like the reality of them establishing a, a sovereign nation that is a major player in the world economy, that doesn't happen without blood, you know, in the real world. 
So the fact that like to think that every country would just be okay with this, it's like no fucking way. Like there would be this espionage shit. There would be this, you know, need for uh for defense. And yeah, I mean, like you can argue that some of the things that they're doing are extreme. They're maiming people, you know. They're uh, they're they're th- yeah, that's extreme. They're threatening um, other nations. Like they're they're committing acts of war, you know. But like they're a nation now. They're they're a country. They're a people united, and like they need to protect what's theirs. And like playing by their old rules, or I guess I should say Charles's old rules. That's not really an option. Um, And I mean, even take out the reality that we know that every version of them trying to be peaceful pretty much ends with them being exterminated, right? We know that for a fact. And the leadership, some of them know that for a fact. So take that for what it is. I also think just aside from that, looking at it in a realistic way, countries don't protect themselves and their interests without armies, without... Uh, espionage without all that shit and there's some real unsavory things that come along with that like maiming people like killing people like you know whatever right um but in the same breath they're trying to liberate pow's and like i think that their intentions are still good um but you know i don't know like some of the work that's required to make it happen is not is unsavory and i think that uh sean you've been saying this from the beginning that like this doesn't feel like our x-men and i think that they are changed and i think they will continue to be changed by what they're doing and how they're approaching situations how they're approaching old friends you know like uh, with the fantastic four and that conflict and everything like the 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 rules have changed for them and they like they're not willing to compromise anymore because their entire history has been defined by making compromises with people that don't see them as people. And, and, and those changes are all necessary. I, I, from a macro perspective, like looking at it, at the stories, uh, it, it definitely makes logical sense considering they're their own sovereign nation and everything. But when you bring it down into like the micro, into what the, the X-Men have represented for, for minorities, I, I think that has a lot of weight because I, I've... I've seen it as okay, we're we're moving into a neighborhood, and we just want to be left alone to live. But you guys have an issue with that, and all I'm doing is making sure that I can continue to exist in a shared space. And and that's uh, that I think is why I I've been beating that drum of like they're they're taking it to these to these extremes as a reaction, not as an inciting motivator and and, right yeah totally uh for for that i've i've loved like the the series overall um so yeah pete you bring up really good points on 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 the on that micro the macro level kale you seem not so hot on this issue you want to talk about man i fucking i was lost from fucking panel one i don't remember shit maybe you should have read like four issues maybe that's the problem (laughs) well i thought i did i like i'm not i'm not blaming anyone but i just like i i had no idea what was going on so i don't i don't know yeah to me uh, this this is an one of the the limited runs right 10 10 or 12 or something i forget at this point i think it's 12 but i'm i feel i feel like they were all supposed to be 12 um 
yeah, I don't know. I for for me, obviously not remembering anything. It was just like, yeah, there's some cool stuff here, but I don't know what the fuck's going on. All right, fair enough. Well, as you can hear on the part of Kale and the part of us kind of fumbling to remember what happened in what issue, uh, the break in publishing definitely has an impact. But I feel like from this issue forward, I'm not going to have that problem again. No, I'm good now. So, um, Especially since there are only two issues left. Well, <laughs> I just think it's a, it's a, it's a lesson we, we kind of need right now. Um, as fans of comics, whereby this is not the fault of the creators or Marvel or anybody that this happened. Read the issue, you know, suffer through the the trying to remember what happened. Maybe pick up the prior one to to, to get acclimated um, and enjoy. And then the next issue, you'll be right as rain. Yeah. Uh, I did have go. one more thing I wanted to ask you guys about. <clears throat> I know um, we've been kind of like mixed on how we feel about the the insert stuff. How did you guys feel about the letters between uh, Kitty and and Kurt? That was Kate fine. Kurt. Yeah, they're fine. Yeah, I I didn't think that they were like anything special particularly, but I think like as someone who's a big fan of both of those characters and like really likes their friendship, like I've been kind of missing that. That's one of the re- like reunions I would really love to see. Um, so I was I was I was I liked getting that little taste and the nod to Nightcrawler's pirate sword. <laughs> I go ahead, Kill. Oh, sorry, I was gonna I was gonna change the subject. Oh, sorry, go just, ahead. Okay, yeah. I I think I'm still frustrated overall by these. Uh, they're not. I I it's probably my fault. It, it, most likely, it's my fault. But they're not living up to the promise of what House and Powers did. House and Powers didn't have letters in it and things like that. It did have the the uh, Mr. Sinister, like, the gossip. Sinister secrets yeah. or something, yeah. Which is it's not the infographics the same way we saw them in a lot of other issues, but they felt very important anyways. And this and a lot of the other infographics and pages that we've had inserted don't feel... Like, they matter, and for that reason, I'd almost rather they not be there. I also feel like one of the things that I remember, particularly in the, uh, what, House 2? Was that the Big Moira issue? Three? Two, three. Yeah, whatever, three. right? House House 2 or 3. Um, I remember Sean and I talking about that, because we were the only ones on that that specific review, and I remember us saying that what was so cool about them was that they were doing things that you couldn't do otherwise um the timeline that infographic gives you information and contextualizes things that you couldn't have told in a scene um without giving away pieces of the puzzle uh i i think and i think that's sort of the problem with the inserts that we're getting now is house and powers were so macro x-men that now that we're sort of in the day-to-day and of Dawn of X and everything, that the the inserts are operating on a micro level, and it just doesn't feel as as uh, uh, well utilized or special. Yeah. yeah, it just it just doesn't feel that significant. Like it's it's cool or whatever, but it, it feels like like a little extra back mattery thing rather than like 
uh, the caliber of the infographics in in what we saw in House and Powers, or like even like to compare it to like Watchmen or something, like you know, like with some of the extra material that's there that actually plays into the narrative a little bit more. Like this is cool because it's like, all right, like this gives us Katie's voice, which we haven't heard in a while, and obviously this is like something that means something to fans of of Kate and and Nightcrawler, but like, you know, beyond that, it's not really much. Felt like fan service, which is fine, but they definitely used to feel like a lot more than that. The very last thing I wanted to point out, because it, it's probably the biggest thing that's come of this issue as it relates to the fan response, is a piece of Emma Frost's, you know, diatribe when she's talking to the one guy that she um, takes the, the gun from, the prototype oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she, you know, says, uh, when you do awake, you will have nothing but warm thoughts for mutants and any humans that dare to exist as an oppressed minority. Gay, disabled, trans, it doesn't matter. The thought of cruelty to those different than you will make you physically ill. And a lot of people have been very um, congratulatory and thankful towards uh, Jerry Duggan for that statement, specifically including trans, which often is not included in statements like that um and so that that really uh made a lot of people very happy on twitter this week and i just wanted to shout that out and uh share my feelings on that uh which is just that i think that's really cool um it's a small moment but just the the fact that when you're talking about these minority groups to reference trans to include them even disabled that's not i don't feel like you ever hear disabled people lumped in when you're talking about the big oppressed groups. I just yeah. I just thought that was cool. I feel like yeah, I feel like ableism and um and and like giving a shit about trans rights are both things that are like fairly recent in our culture to even be like things that we actually acknowledge and talk about and have a dialogue about. So yeah, I, I think that's that's great and I think it speaks to the point that Marco made earlier where I think like what the X Men have historically kind of represented in comics is like is you know minorities is is people who are um in those 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 groups that like deal with the same kind of maybe not on the exact same level as the mutants but you know uh inequality or persecution right um so yeah for me this like that's right on the nose like that's what the x-men are generally all about you know at their best this uh sounds like politics in my comics i don't know <laughs> so, this, this X-Men books getting too political. Getting too political. It was fine when X-Men. they went, you know, and had a summit with the leaders of nations. That was fine, but this too political. <laughs> too political. All right, so that's going to do it for our review of Marauders Ooh, Ten. One, oh, sorry, one more son thing. of a bitch. I, I was gonna, I, I was gonna change the subject earlier yes. uh, to that last page. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Of uh, Xavier and the the five or whatever. Um, what did you guys make of that? Uh, especially Xavier's uh, last line. Yeah, I was, I was. It, it was. It's curious because, like, obviously, you think that okay, she'll be fine. Obviously, they've been teasing this out, but I had pretty much just thought, okay, yeah, it's fine. They'll they'll figure out a way to whatever. But this actually happens over the, like the course of like two or three issues, actually, where they're having trouble resurrecting her. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm. I'm sort of confused. It sounds like they just might let her die. 
which is interesting but like i i, I wonder if it's going to be something along the lines of like the first mute dead mutant kind of thing afterwards like if that's the aftermath of that she'll be a martyr of Maybe? some kind yeah 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 i get the feeling uh, which you know uh, we've echoed along all these books is that you know xavier is going to use kate as a pawn on some level and it makes it it does make me wonder if uh you know when he says i'll tell miss frost my decision or whatever uh it makes me wonder if he's if he's the one blocking the 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 return and the resurrection or even Yo. as far as if he's the one blocking her entry into Krakoa. Yo, that'd be wild. I I I I think you might be onto something there. Um cuz it's like the the way Professor Xavier is a jerk. That is true. Uh and just the way that the last two panels like those two statements are together, right? Cuz he says I agree. And he pauses. He says, I agree for now. Please go to sleep. And that to me is a very interesting because it huh. very much like seems like he thinks it's doable, but what they're doing right now won't work. And I don't yeah. know if that's because like to Kale's point, he's pulling the strings in some way or is there really like a deeper meaning to why Kate isn't able to connect to this? And like, and you know, he's making the, the, the decision he's making right now is to like put this on ice and figure out what happens. And like, it could just be a, a, a realistic thing of like, there is a reason why it doesn't work. And now he's realizing that rather than keep wasting these resources, he can, leverage kate as a martyr in some way or, or something like that because i could kind of see both angles of that right like either mm -hmm. he's controlling it to use her that way or this is an opportunity like an opportunistic move of like well if we can't bring her back at least let's like let's make lemonade i like the theory kale i, I think it's really intriguing the only problem i have is that it would imply that he either had a hand in her death or that he was waiting for her to die. Maybe he was waiting for someone to die. And because uh, one, of, one of the other things was like I, they had made mention was like, why did we send her out there knowing that this was the condition? So it could just be a thing of because she was blocked, that risk just escalated. That, that 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 potential was incredibly high to begin with. So all he had to do was wait. Um, yeah. uh, well, got, and there was the point that I think, yeah, Emma made in the last issue about how we, we both know that Kate wouldn't have just sat around on the island and waited for us to figure it out. Sure, right. So he set the stage and let people do what they would do. And right. she naturally died. Yeah, like him being like, okay, we know Kitty won't stay here while we figure this out. Let's send her out on this mission, and as long as she's successful, like, great, fine. That's her job. And if she dies, great. Then plan, yeah, great. Plan <laughs> part two can start. You know, like we also don't know to what level Xavier um, knows that kind of stuff. 
who can be resurrected and who can't. We know he has backups, but why why isn't Kate's backup working? Working? Does he have one? Hmm. I wonder if she might not need to go in a different body. Oh fuck! Wouldn't that be crazy? Wait, what? Like her body just gets fixed? No, like they resurrect her mind in someone else's body. Oh. It may. What I'm suggesting is maybe it's a problem with her body. Oh. And maybe because of her powers. Huh. Because that's the other thing. She said she can't phase through most parts of Krakoa. Oh, that's right. Yes, She yes. called that out like in this issue or in the email <clears throat> to uh, to Kurt. So that that was actually an interesting piece of information that we hadn't had before. Uh, we knew she couldn't access the island, but she's apparently not able to phase through most parts of it. What but not wa- all. What if he wants to take control of the island and tries to resurrect her consciousness within the island to overtake it? Huh. That feels like a bridge too far. I think he's already got control over the island as much as he wants. Or feels like he needs. Yeah. I don't know. Well, uh, all the theorizing aside... Clearly, there's a lot to chew on, and I, I'm I'm personally excited for the next issue of Marauders, um, and I, I can't wait to see how this story develops. It feels like we've been waiting so long for um, things to happen, and now they finally are when the series is about to end. But uh, that's going to do it for our review. Let us know your thoughts about the book. If you're reading it, what are you reading these days? Obviously, uh, getting to shops is really hard. Are you... Getting your books delivered to you? Are you picking them up curbside? Or are you just not engaging with comics at all right now? Um, maybe you're reading digitally. <sighs> Tell me Don't about that. I love, I, love, uh, <laughs> I love how that's Sean, Sean Virtue signaling there where he's like, the assumption is that you haven't been reading or maybe you went digital. <laughs> you know. Uh, let us know however you're engaging with your comics by hitting us up at thecomicspals at gmail.com or on social media at the Comics Pals. You could also join our Discord and uh, talk to us over there. We're always having conversations about comics. We also do stream every so often when we <laughs> when we get around to it. Uh, but we always let you guys know through the Discord and through social that we're going to be going on on stream. So Twitch.tv slash the Comics Pals. Streaming yep. once every in a while. When we feel like. Yeah. Shout out to Charlie and Philip Turpdad from our stream uh, on Friday night. They were they were new uh, new uh, subscribers to the Twitch stream, and that's dope. Hope you uh, sure came is. and checked out the episode. Also, shout out to Tyler Chin Tyler Chin Tanner for joining us this week. That was really cool. Check out his Kickstarter for maybe someday. Uh, there'll be a link to it in the description, so you can just grab that and sign up if you like. Lots of really cool creators involved. Look at the list for yourself. Like I said, Comics Pals guarantee you will see someone on that list whose work you like. Let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. About uh, what you've been up to lately. What are, you, what are you playing? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you doing? How are you staying sane? Give me some recs. Um, I've been keeping busy with lots of stuff right now. Um, lots of, lots of good media I've been catching up on and getting to go knock some stuff off the backlog. So, uh, would love some more recommendations. Keep me busy. Uh, if you want to get some more work from me, you can go uh, check out myself over at loopots.com where I host their weekly Nintendo podcast, the podcast, as well as the patron exclusive show after dark, um, which you can get for a buck now, which is cool. 
Uh, and then I stream over there on their Twitch channel on uh, Thursday nights, uh, usually playing Animal Crossing. So if you want to come hang out with me, those are some great ways to do it. Awesome. Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TotoInto. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Come talk to me about Gundam models. Oh. I am in the market, and I uh, don't know where to start. Have, have, have you started any of the shows yet? I started uh, the the origin film. Oh, nice. Or the, the origin miniseries yeah. or whatever. Nice. That is a slow beginning. Yep, but it pays <laughs> off. Uh, yeah, it's a real cool mix of anime and like the modern sort of 3D animation that I think re- that is actually really satisfying. Yeah. Uh, you can find my work at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Uh, my comics are up on that website and free. So go check them out. Uh, tell me I'm a good writer and uh, tell Tyler Chin Tanner that uh, you want me to work on a book. <laughs> oh, wow. All right. There you go. Put yourself out there. Marco? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Animoto. Uh, I'm still on this Gundam thing. I just finished Origin, so can can attest that it is very good. The the Origin specifically. I finished Gundam OO, and I'm now on Iron Blooded Orphans. Uh, and then after this, I'm gonna hop off of anime for a second and watch Letterkenny because I saw the first episode oh, the other day. Yes, it's so y- good. Yo, it, the first episode hilarious. So, so funny. Uh, that that's the next thing that i'll dive into that i'll probably follow up with y'all uh and then let me know what you're reading anything indie that's my shit like uh there's really good stuff out there and back some kickstarters specifically tyler chintanner's the what was it again maybe someday maybe maybe someday, someday. Link in the description. maybe someday you'll remember it yeah. jeez marco damn uh phil's at cyborg bebop on twitter and instagram if you want to follow him don't know why you would well, make sure you go tell him how great he's doing for reporting the news and all that shit. He's working real hard in these turbulent right, times. I was just trying to be mean, but now you made me look <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, well, Phil needs it. Fair. Be nice. Piece of shit. Fuck you. All right. As for me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Uh, hit me up with something good, because uh, it's not good right now. So, yeah. Uh, with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye.